Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, we have a lot of ground to cover today. Welcome in on a Monday morning. That was a phenomenal playoff on the PGA Tour. That was a really interesting NBA playoff game last night with the Bucks and the Hawks. We got to get to Chris Middleton, and that was a big-time performance by him. And, and Giannis was big, too, but Middleton was just off the charts. And the Suns have a chance to send Chris Paul to the NBA Finals for the first time tonight. we got to get to that. There's a lot of ground to cover. Uh, BYU, you don't go anywhere without good coordinators. Both coordinators, offensive and defensive, coming up later in this hour. And as the Cougars get ready to kick off their uh, follow-up season to a tremendous campaign, and how do they double down on that? And we'll get to that coming up. But the big story of the night, the big story of the morning, and a story that possibly some of you don't know. I think many of you do. It broke right before many of you went to bed. But some of you may have unplugged and gone to bed a little on the early side and not have heard the news, so I'm about to break it to some of you. Others of you uh, saw it on TV or saw it on Twitter or wherever or on the web. Uh, but Dennis Lindsay is no longer calling the shots day-to-day in the Utah Jazz organization. He's moving into an advisory role. And... Now the general manager, Justin Zanuck, will assume control of the daily operations. And there are a lot of big decisions to make. Got a draft coming up. That's always critical. Free agency is coming up. Who can the Jazz get? That's critical. Can they keep Mike Conley on what terms? That's all got to be negotiated. And so there, there's a lot to do. Justin Zanuck's plate was already full, and now it's really full. Um, and I know a lot of you wonder, you know, why did this happen? Uh, what does this mean for the Jazz going forward? What does this mean for Dennis Lindsay going forward? Um, what does this mean for Ryan Smith ownership? What conclusions can we draw from this? I mean, there are a lot of ways to go. Uh, let's start with <clears throat> how surprising is this? Uh, I thought it was coming. I didn't know if it was coming this summer or next summer. PK actually, PK and I actually had a conversation off the air. Um, Last week, and I told him, I, I really believe this is coming. I think we're getting near the end of the Dennis Lindsay era, but uh, I, I, can't, I cannot guarantee you the timing. I just don't know. And it turned out the timing was last night. <clears throat> now, it seems engineered pretty well, and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I don't want to say that Dennis um, wanted this or that he's thrilled by it, um, but I do think that um, from what I've seen – that he saw it coming and so on some level was accepting and thought, hey, well, this is the situation. Let's make the best of it. Um, so for Dennis going forward, and we can get more into this later, um, you know, I, I won't be surprised if he stays in an advisory role for a while. The job he was in is a grind. You rarely get to take your foot off the accelerator. I think we just saw this with Danny Ainge. We heard it in the interview that Danny did with the Boston radio station. Hey, I want to work, but I don't want to work this hard, you know. And now Dennis is younger. Uh, so Dennis could sit in an advisory role for a year or two and then maybe hop back in and run another club. Uh, if I were an owner and my team were in the bottom quarter, third half of the NBA, and I had a chance to get Dennis Lindsay, he can make me a lot of money. And I mean, this is a business. Think about the money. If you're in the, you know, if your team 20, 23, 27, whatever, and you look at this guy and you think, well, I'm pretty sure he can get me to be team 15 or team 11 or team nine. And I think Dennis's track record, what do you do with the Jazz, says he can do that. Well, even if he doesn't win a title, he makes a franchise worth a lot of money. You know, the team gets better. You're selling more luxury suites, season tickets. You're selling more corporate sponsorships, signage, all jerseys, all that stuff, right? Makes the team worth more money. So I won't be surprised if Dennis gets back in. And I think maybe he, you know, probably kind of saw where this was headed 
And when he realized where it was headed, uh, probably set himself up the best. He steps down. It's an advisory role. There isn't a ton of ugly conflict boiling out in the open. And whether you think there was a little, none, a lot, you know, whatever, I don't, I don't know. As I sit here now, I got, like you, I got a lot of questions. You know, this broke last night and there'll be a chance down the line in a day, a week, a month or whatever to talk to some people and kind of flesh it out more. Hopefully that'll happen sooner, not later. But, um, I think Dennis kind of managed this. And I think it's the direction Ryan wants to go as well. You know, if you get into the why did this happen, I don't think there's one reason. I don't think you can say it's this or it's that. And I am sure people are going to point to this and to that. But I think I think it's a whole lot of things, you know. Um, I think we all know that new owners, regardless of the industry, I've certainly seen it in TV and radio, that new owners want their own people running the show. And that's true in sports, and that's probably true in construction and, I don't know, whatever else. Education beats me. Uh, whatever. Fill in the blank industry. So I think that is a factor. Um, you know, I think another factor is that Dennis is um, – <clears throat> and it always cracks me up when we take calls or people email us or hit us up on Twitter. You know, the Jazz are so passive. They're so quiet. you got to be out there competing. you got to be your nose. Like, hey, trust me. Dennis is plenty competitive, if anything, to a fault. You know, does he blow up sometimes? Yes. Everybody in the organization will tell you that. And so I think that one of the factors in this is it's time. You know, it's just time. Things have kind of run their course. And was that timeline moved along because there's a new owner? Probably. Some of you, you know, well, it's because it went out in the second round. I can't tell you that going out in the second round wasn't a factor. You know, would it have been different if they'd gone to a conference final or to the NBA finals or if they'd won it all? I think my answer largely is no, probably not, but I can't guarantee you. I mean, if they'd won it all, would they have wanted to run it back? Of course, there would have been a natural temptation to do that. So a lot of things that did happen or could have happened and didn't happen, you know, I think a lot of things come together to put them in this moment. Um, you know, it's, it's, always, um, it's always competitive and combative behind the scenes. The public doesn't really want to see it. Most people don't want it out there. But you can go back to the Jerry Sloan era. You know, the further we get away from it, the more it's St. Jerry, right? It's just, you, you forget the warts. You remember the good times. There were plenty of people who wanted Jerry fired at different times. And Larry Miller got really mad at him, but he never let him go. Um, <clears throat> but I'll give you an example. One time they got really combative behind the scenes with the Jazz. And I don't think everybody in the organization was happy with Jerry. But Jerry didn't want Brian Russell on the team anymore. And I think there were people in the organization who did. And I'm not clear on what Kevin O'Connor wanted. I kind of think he wanted him in there, but I've never gotten a definitive answer on that. Um, but Jerry came on talking sports. And I asked him because he knew where Brian was in his contract. Okay, this, is, this could be an issue. You know, will Brian be back? And, Dar- and, and I really thought he'd probably talk around it, but maybe he'd tip his hand a little bit. Maybe we could read between the lines. And Jerry just came, Jerry just came out and said, no, he won't be back. He's done? Yep, that's it. He's done. <laughs> wow. He put it out there on TV so it couldn't be walked back. He ended it. Do I think every, that's not how the Jazz did business in that era? Quite frankly, it's not how they do business in this era. Uh, but Jerry did it. He just did it. So there's always stuff going on behind the scenes. And I know it turns into a soap opera and people want to throw out the names of, you know, Player, star player, GM, coach, whatever, you know, depending on the situation. But that stuff's always going on to some level. Think about the company you work in. There's drama. You know there is. So you get all these things coming together. Now, <clears throat> what does it mean for the Jazz going forward? What, how will 
how will Xanax shape this team differently? And how will other voices in the organization from, you know, scouting to coaches to ownership to who to players, to star players, how will their voices be heard? Will some of them be a little more prominent? Because that automatically means other voices aren't as prominent, right? Um, you know, how does that play out? Uh, too early to tell. Don't have good answers for you. And I think looming, and this is going to be the unasked question in many stories you hear, uh, that you read, that you see. And I think this is a massive question. What does Ryan Smith want next? And I don't think many of us are prepared to answer that right now, much better than we were last week. Now we know one more thing. Now we know one more thing. But the reason we got so good at predict- predicting what the Jazz would do is that we watched how Larry Miller operated over a number of years. And you start getting in 8, 10 years, 12 years, you start to get a pretty good idea. Well, Ryan Smith's a little ways away from that, isn't he? You know, And he's bound to change and grow as an owner. Being in the spotlight will do that to you. You know? You start, you know, you start seeing how the public reacts to a lot of the stuff you're doing. Yeah, it might change how you work. So we've got to figure all that out. Um, you know, where are the Jazz going? How does this impact the draft? I will say one thing, and this has been out there in public view. I think that Quinn Snyder um, likes that uh, kind of, not, not small ball because he values Rudy too much, but he, he loves that option. And I think we saw in a press conference three years ago that Dennis really values the notion of the traditional big. Um, and I don't think this is just a Dennis and Quinn thing. I think you go through the organization, you find people on both sides of this. How much do you value the traditional big? And Dennis did quite a bit. And it was, uh, let's see, it would have been, i got to get my years right. It would have been three years ago at a press conference. And what's going to happen with Favors going in the last year of his deal? And um, I think that was three years ago. Maybe I'm off. See, I'm doing math on the radio. That never works well. Um, but, you know, Dennis gave the full-throated, hey, we don't win that Clipper playoff series without Derek Favors, which was true because Rudy Gobert got hurt in game one and then uh, didn't play again until game five. You know, up until that point, um, and, you know, and Quinn's face kind of tightened up in that moment. <laughs> you know, up until that point, they'd always done press conferences together. Now they haven't done them together anymore. Um, but I think if you just paint this as a Dennis and Quinn thing, you're missing the point. I think I think a lot of streams are coming together at this moment to make this river, you know, the way it is. And I know a lot of you wonder about Ainge going forward. Good grief if you know anybody who works at BYU. I swear two out of three people in parking services have an opinion on this. The guys who mow the lawns have everybody down there. And I don't know how much of it's wishing and wanting to make it come true and how much it really is. You know, what role is Ainge going to have in this? He's coming in here. They're best friends. Oh, my gosh, I hear that a lot. Um, but I think in all these guys, they might seem, need some time away before they do whatever they do. Now, everybody doesn't. You know, everybody does it. Andy Reid didn't. Andy Reid got it. He was out with the Eagles, and boom, he was in with the Chiefs. I mean, it was just bing, bing. That was just turn the page and move on. But we do see a lot of people, even someone as driven and competitive as Pat Riley, takes a year off, you know. So I know everyone's going to be all fired up this morning, and there's not much we're going to do to throw cold water on it. But I would just advise against saying it's this one thing, and now this one thing is going to happen next. I think there's still a lot of unknowns out there. And I think there's a lot of different forces at work at the same time.
So we'll try to sort this out more as the morning goes along. We got to get to BYU. We got to get to the uh, the Bucks game. What a performance by Chris Middleton! Uh, we'll do all that coming up. DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone. Going to hear from the Cougar coordinators in a minute as well. Stay with us. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone. Take the Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We'll get to BYU football momentarily. But first, two quick minutes on the NBA playoffs. We had three crazy games this weekend. The Bucks with a massive blowout in Game 2 to tie the series, and then coming from behind in the fourth quarter to win and to actually really control the last couple minutes of that game. This isn't a game that went down to the wire. The Bucks ended up winning by nine. But from the, the seven-minute mark to about the three-minute mark, the Bucks really made their move. And it was mostly Chris Middleton. He got hot from three, and that was a heck of a shooting performance. They're down seven with seven minutes to go. It's 95-88. He hits a three. They get a stop in a bucket. They get another stop, and Middleton hits another three. That quick, it's an 8-0 run. And they got the lead. And the Hawks tied the game back up at 98, and Middleton hits another three. Giannis goes into the post and scores, and Middleton hits another three. Four big three-pointers in four minutes, and that game flipped. It was over. And the Hawks cruise home and win at 112-103. They finish on like a 25-7 run. And Middleton has 38 points and 11 rebounds. And Giannis has 33 and 11 rebounds. Those two came through big time. And they, they were in trouble. They were taking on water with seven minutes to go in the game down seven. I mean, it's not impossible. Obviously, they went on the 25-7 to seven run and won it. But if you were watching the game, you're like, man, Milwaukee better get going. And they're, they're in a little trouble here. And they got going in a big way. And now the Hawks are in trouble. They need to win game four at home. I know technically it's not a must-win game, but... You drop two home games, you lose three in a row, and you think you're suddenly going to win three in a row and two of them on the road? Seems unlikely. Seems like the Bucks had better win game four, or the Hawks had better win game four Tuesday, or this is the Bucks series that go into the finals. And they haven't been to the uh, NBA finals since 74. It has been a while, right? It's been a hot minute. And the Suns can get there tonight. They haven't been since Barkley took them in 93. And the Suns are up 3-1 after grinding out. And, man, that score was stuck on 71-70 to forever. But the Suns found a way to get it done. They won in L.A. They're up 3-1. They're in great shape now, and they got a chance to close it out at home tonight. All right. I kind of expect they will, too. And the Clippers have – I know the Clippers have gotten off the mat, and I shouldn't count them out, but here I am counting them out. All right. Right now, time to talk BYU football. Can the Cougars back up a good season with another really good season? can't do it without good coordinators. And we're going to start with Aaron Roderick, who is kind of a new coordinator, but not really. He's been on the staff. He's in charge of the passing game. He's been an offensive coordinator before. He knows all the talent in the program because he's been there and he's established. So I think although it is a transition, it ought to be about as smooth as you could hope. Now, they've sent an NFL they sent an offensive lineman to the NFL, third round of the draft. They sent a quarterback. I believe it should have gone in order, right? The quarterback went number two in the entire draft. So it's not like they don't have talent to replace. Uh, here's Aaron Roderick with PK and I on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, BYU football, what people really want to hear from Aaron Roderick, although they enjoy commiserating with you. 
So obviously it always starts <laughs> to the quarterback or yeah. voicing the quarterback. And you're not going to tell us now, yeah. even though we want you to. <laughs> but do you, in your mind, have you seen some separation? Or are you really, it's a, I don't know what the metaphor is. It's a coin toss. It's a, three horses at the top of the uh, top of the turn coming home at the derby i don't know what is it yeah i wish i had something new to tell you since the last time you guys asked me this at the end of spring but um it's a there's three guys in the mix and i have a uh, a really i think a good plan for how i'm gonna um distribute the reps early in camp and um they're good players i, I believe in all three of these guys um, but we're we're gonna just give them the reps and make a tough decision and and you know it's not a it's not an exact science sometimes you don't get it right and sometimes it takes a while to sort it out so I hope our uh, fans will just pull for whoever's in there and and trust that we're we are doing our best to work our way through it. I'm just upset that uh, the Herm Edwards and the Sun Devils didn't use some illegal tactics to get Conover to stay home. <laughs> that's what's taking me off, man. But that's another story. He's, he's, he's going to be a good player, he's man. He's a Chandler he's the, guy. And so this is his first uh, foray, basically, yeah. into rec- into uh, competing for the starting job, whereas Hall and Romney have been down this road before. Correct. And what's amazing to me is in this world of college football, if you don't have the starting job wrapped up by the third practice of your freshman year, you're out the door. And <laughs> you have been able to keep these two guys in the program. And now, from a sense that that, to me – gives me a sense of confidence in that they have been uh, here for a good number of years so they know what's going on and so whoever you choose should be able to do a degree anyway i think be able to hit the ground running is that a fair assessment yeah and um i'm glad you mentioned that they've stayed because uh i think it says a lot about those two guys that they've they've stuck it out here for a a while now and and both of them have had some great moments on the field playing in big games and both of them have had to also pay some dues uh you know and watch a guy who was playing at a pretty high level and then both of them have been through some injuries and so there's a lot there and a lot of reasons why either one of them could have left or or jaron could have just gone and played baseball or they could have transferred and they've, they've stuck it out and i think it says a lot about their character it also says a lot about kalani in the program that he has established i think our players like playing football in this program and we don't have we, we do not have as many guys transferring out of here as you've seen at a lot of other places because i think guys like playing for him so i'm curious how much coaches lay stuff out for guys before you get too far down the road i went back and was checking and you can probably check snaps i've just been checking starts but the number of starts that second and third string quarterbacks get at BYU, and I've looked at it at Utah too over the last decade, and I haven't broken it down, but we follow Boise State and Stanford. I know they've both gone deep into their quarterback rooms. Yeah. So do you explain that to guys before you get too far down the road in a competition? Because if you tell a guy, hey, you're third string on the depth chart, but hey, the third string, you know, it might yeah. be a little late for that message to yeah. sink in. Do you tell them in spring ball, hey, this is going to sort itself out, but you need to know this. This is how college football works. Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, approximate, oh, we did a study a few years ago, uh, uh, and we I can't remember how many years the study was, but basically there's about 20 teams a year that make it through the whole year with, with one QB and out of 120 or 130, whatever. yeah, it's 130 now. Yeah. There, there's about 20 a year that make it through the year with just playing one guy. Now um, – 
the, the uh, you know just the chances of needing somebody else to be ready to go is very high and and so I that's one thing I feel great about and I think it gives everybody some hope to keep working and then the other the other thing is that these guys are all still young I mean clockwise I mean Baylor and Jaron have been here a while and they're returned missionaries so they're getting older but they're sophomores and then you've got Conover who's a true freshman um, he's still got five years to play four so I think that's another reason to just you know, you got to be got to be professional about it and work your way through it and understand that there's still enough time left for all three of those guys to have a great great career and that that's very possible. That could that could happen. So we know about the phenomenal season last year and you're a Norm Child disciple and I can remember Norm one year, you know, he had a way of saying things that uh kind of put you in your place and one year the Utes had a good season. And he said, basically, I thought I'm paraphrasing, but I think I got it. He said, well, anybody can have a good season. The key yeah. is to have a good program. Yeah. So, you know, you had a couple of mediocre years, some disheartening losses your first couple of years. You break through last season. A lot of people want to claim schedule, and maybe there's some truth to that. But at the same time, you had all those guys drafted, so the NFL obviously thought you had talent. So the point being, uh, what is there that can convince people that you have a program as opposed to a season? Well, we got to go win this year. You know, we got to put a, we got to put together another great year. And um, you know, I, I don't think it's wise to uh, try to define, you know, or try to come up with a number or or a, a, a you know some some sort of hallmark that defines what a great season is. And, and you know, um, but we learned in the last year and a half, I would say, we've learned what it takes to win. The process that you go through to win games, and I think that. That foundation is there, and I think I have a lot of confidence that we're going to continue to do that and that you're going to start to see that we are a really strong program. Um, but right now we're, I've got our team focused on the process of what it takes to win a game and not thinking about the end result. And if you stack enough of those good days together of doing what you're supposed to do to beat Arizona and then you just keep stacking those days up, at the end we'll have a lot of wins. Well, and you damn well better beat Arizona. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> you know who you're dealing with. You know, know why he says that. I do. You just got to blow that off. I, stay mentally focused on the interview and don't worry about little, you know. The listeners can't see my eye roll. Right? <laughs> I could. <laughs> I want to be engulfed in a massive shiitake hug <laughs> down in Vegas on that uh, yeah. Saturday. So, you know the narrative is out there. P PK referenced it about the schedule wasn't tough last year. That's why yeah. they won. But I go back two. I don't really buy it because I go back two years. And you're seven and six, and you beat USC at home, and you beat Tennessee, and I realize you win them both by, yeah. you know, I mean, it's like literally one play flips those games, but you win them. But then you have fourth quarter leads, and you lose at Toledo and South mm -hmm. Florida and Hawaii, and you get outscored. And the difference, I thought, and this goes back to PK's point about a program, not a season. When you had a running back to help kill games, you were good. You had a running back injury, and you didn't really have the depth to run the ball as effectively and just really dominate a fourth quarter physically that way. The O-line seems to have grown up over two years, and I know some guys have moved on to the pros there too, but do you think you have the O-line and the running back and the depth at those positions that when you have the fourth quarter lead, you can seal the deal? Because it wasn't the Power 5 programs yeah. that were giving you the problem. Yeah, it was it was uh just we weren't um as experienced and we weren't 
a complete team yet. We hadn't learned yet how to close out games, how to how to play full four quarters week to week, um, how to just make it through the grind of a season. I mean, the margin of error is small, and, and um, you know, South Florida, the South Floridas of the world, you know, last year Central Florida, Boise State, mm-hmm. Houston, those types of teams, they're good. <laughs> they're, those teams are just as good as most of the Power 5 teams we're going to play. And so you have to be ready to play every week. And um, it took us a while to learn, I think, how to just, you know, be prepared to play every week, how to finish games. And uh, and then you're right. If you remember that Hawaii game, there was a critical third and two at the end of the game where we elected to throw a pass on third and two. I do and remember. We were should have heard my language. <laughs> I remember it. Yeah, and, it was, and 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 I think every coach First in our receive no less. Look, look, we we make we make mistakes. I think every coach in our staff wishes we would have run the ball there. We do. Okay. And in fact, we had a run play called the play before. Uh, we had a run play called the play before, and there ended up being a timeout, and then we ended up. We ended. Uh, we we showed our we showed our play. The de- the defense saw the play as the timeout was being called, so we switched to a pass. It was a mistake. We we you know I think all of us regret that. But at the time, you're right. We didn't have as much confidence then that we could just go run the ball and get two yards. We had issues at running back at the time. We were banged up at O line. We hadn't built up the depth and the experience level that we have now. Um, and you know. Now, if we're in that situation again, I think we'll have more options. Is that what it was as far as the program? Because uh, Kalani takes over. You weren't there at the beginning, but you've been here now a good number of years. And with BYU, whoever takes over that first class, well, we'll see you in three years, essentially, yeah. be able to get out on the field. Yeah. And and so now what? what is he going into his sixth year, I think? Yeah. Uh, and so is that where we're at And as far as, all right, the guys we recruited, the guys we identified, all that stuff, they're home now, and they're not just home, but they're home for over a year so they can get back into shape and all that stuff. How much is that contributing to the success of the program? It's just the longevity of it, given the unique nature of BYU with so many guys taking off. That is a big part of it, and part of that i got to give credit to Jeff Grimes. When he got here, he uh, he really established a culture of toughness. He, he, um, he was very demanding of our offense that we were no matter what win lose or draw we were going to be a tough physical team and that the other team was going to feel us for the whole next week and so he sort of you know he really established that and then um he also became uh he he made our whole staff accountable as far as our personnel goes so hey you're responsible for your position group and we're not going to make excuses about who recruited who uh, but now that we're, you know, I'm going into my fourth year, most of the players we're coaching now are guys that we we recruited or guys that we know really well that we um, have had a chance to develop and teach and, and, and get to know. And so we know what we're going to get when we put those guys on the field. Hey, Rod, we love chatting with you. Sorry your jazz got to yeah. be like that. That's our jazz, buddy. No, wait, they lost? Yeah, it's your jazz. <laughs> front, front runner. <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> so, expect nothing less, though. So they're going to win. They're going to go down to L.A. and win. I believe it. Yeah, see? Yeah. Calling it, baby. All right, A-Rod, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me. There's Aaron Roderick. When we come back, defensive coordinator, Elisa Tuiaki. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK reminding you the top 60 and 60 is back in the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty will announce another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union. Icon Health and Fitness right here on the Zone Sports Network. All right, Joe Ingles is coming up at 9 o'clock. Jazz playoff talk with Joe Ingles at the top of the hour, but right now, BYU defensive coordinator Elisa Tuiaki joins us, Coach. Good to have you on the air again. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Appreciate you guys having me on. So I'm curious. I just read the 60 and 60 promo there, and I'm curious, uh, ranking the 60 best players in state, as a coach, we have always been stunned by coaches and their encyclopedic knowledge of recruiting. (laughs) PK running into one guy in a sandwich shop, who looks like a college football player, says he's getting recruited. He comes up here, runs a bike. Was it Kalani you ran a bike? Yeah, it was yeah. Down, down in Manhattan Beach. Yeah, and Kalani knew exactly who the guy was and listened to whole things about him, Kalani, even though he's going to end up going to another school. You guys school. were at Utah. Yeah, and I said something in passing a few years ago when I was hosting the Kyle Whittingham show about I think USC is going to lose a game, and Kyle says they will beat everybody. Oh, well, you know, unless they play Texas in a, in a bowl game. And sure enough, they play Texas in the Rose Bowl, and, and Vince Young beats them right at the end. And I'm amazed at how much everybody knows about all these kids and all these players. But with the transfer portal, it's like putting a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle in a box and just shaking it up every year. So do you still feel like you know all these guys and how they fit? Or does the transfer portal introduce an element of mystery to college football, to coaches that maybe didn't previously exist? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good question. It it certainly does add um, something different, you know, to it. Where we've got to do a little bit more um, research into somebody that maybe regionally was was somewhere else, just played in another conference that we didn't follow as closely, and then um, all of a sudden is is uh, is on our schedule. And, you know, we've got to do some research into those guys and kind of see what they did in their career and how they play. And and uh, yeah, it certainly does add a little bit something else to it so i remember several years ago i think i'm not positive so i don't i can't vouch for it but i'm pretty sure we were down at uh, dixie high school remember you guys had that spring practice there yeah and the place was packed shocked me fortunately i had my wife drop me off or else i would have had to park about five miles away (laughs) there's so many people there that day and so you guys do your thing you have the practice blah 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 and then and I can remember everybody was around Sewell. He was the big kid now, well, you know, the offensive lineman. And I remember talking to you off to the side uh, an hour or so after then. And, and you told me, I, I'm pretty sure it was there. If not, it was up here. But anyway, you said, keep an eye on this Chris Wilcox. And he hadn't done jack. And you told me, he said, this guy's got NFL potential. And I'm thinking, defensive back, BYU, NFL potential? Normally you don't see that. Well, you were right. <laughs> you call and you called it like four years ahead of time, so you obviously have an eye to be able to identify that. And the nature of college football is you're going to lose guys every year, and you you guys lost guys, lost guys to the NFL. How do you feel about that high level talent 
that maybe the rest of us don't know about, but you've already identified, given time and experience, can slide in and to be another Tonga, to be another Wilcox. Yeah, that there's a there's a lot of credit that goes to the to the uh, recruiting staff. Um, you know, uh, Coach Lamb, Coach Coach Guilford are the ones that recruited Chris. Um, they've got they've certainly got an eye for finding those kinds of kids that uh, you know kids that may be a little um, underdeveloped, uh, under recruited, and uh, kids that come grateful to play here at BYU. And uh, you know, we've we've got a lot of kids that we're really excited for for this year. You know, we've you guys know we've lost a lot of guys to the draft and. And uh, we're going to be young, but, but uh, we've got a really good team and nice play. So because your schedule is, uh, as an independent is front-loaded with so many good opponents and other people try to kind of ease into things, I'm curious about how you try to build these guys up mentally. I mean, we know you got them in the weight room and, and you're watching film and you're coaching them on technique and all that, but until they believe they can do it, you, you don't usually do it. You know, the other guy might have a little more belief. How do you get young guys into that right away when your schedule tends to be difficult right away? Yeah, that, that, that's a good question. I mean, um, it's, it's hard to really get, get your team um, playing at the level that they should be without game experience. And there's really no, no other substitution for, for game experience. And so having, having young guys, having guys that really haven't been on the field yet, um, you know, is, is, is going to be a challenge be able to throw those guys into the fire but I think with so many of those guys that were really coming off the bench last year and and contributing and and uh you know being part of the success that we had last year and even the the years before that in some of the teams that we played has been huge for their their growth and development and they've they've been in those spots at least on the sideline and kind of seeing how things have, have gone and and uh what's expected of them and so you know that that'll certainly add to their growth and uh and their confidence coming into this year. So it's not just at BYU that you get guys that are under-recruited and develop them and help them that, that they mature and achieve what, what, what you believe they can do, because you do get some, some top-end talent that is viewed as top-end talent anyway coming out of high school. One of those guys is Chaz Ayu. You know, he was highly sought after. He's been in and out of the lineup, moved positions, have injuries. Where are you guys at with him as far as him being able to get out on the field and start making some major contributions consistently? Yeah, th- this has got to be a really big year for him. I mean, we're, um, you know, we're because because we're young, because we don't have any, as many guys with experience. Um, we're we're asking a lot out of Chaz, and Chaz has always done a really good job in the past, just answering the bell. We've moved him a bunch of different positions right. and knows what we're doing and and uh there'll be a lot of demand on him this year to uh to be a leader to be a guy that steps up and and really fills in some of those holes that that we've got to fill while we wait for some of the young guys to where to you slot them strong safety safety yep and that's going to be it depends on the game could end up moving them depending on on what we've got but uh, you know normally those guys that are playing safety uh, rarely have we moved back to corner. We have done that with Diane. We've done it with uh, Troy, Troy. Um, depending on the game. But uh, most of those guys, when we move them, we move them back and forth from from that field backer where where Fred Warner played back to safety. But we've got we've got a lot of good linebackers. I mean, that might be the strength of our defense as far as just the position group. And uh, you know we're really young at the safety spot, and so thinking that safety is going to be where he he's uh, he's at just uh, for the most part. 
You're playing five Pac-12 teams, and one of the Pac-12 analysts had a quote about, you know, the league and the league they, success they need to have, and they can't go two and three against BYU in that. you got three Pac-12 teams right out of the gate. Is the D-line big enough and deep enough uh, for that challenge and, and ready to go? Do you have a lot of confidence in them? I do. have a, have a lot of confidence in the D-line. Um, have a lot of confidence in the depth. Um, we don't have a lot of game experience, and so... The defensive end spots probably where most of the game experience is. is uh, I mean, we don't have very very much experience at the DN spot. We do have tackles that have played, and we've got five or six D tackles that I feel comfortable about. And you guys probably know that we rotate pretty deep just to keep those guys fresh for the majority of the year. Um, but uh, we're really young at the DN spot, and so there'll be a couple of guys that move around and try out and do some different things with some of the guys that have have uh, you know big time players like Peyton Wilgar that have played both D end as well as backer and moved around and max Tooley as well and we'll see how things go with that well those are the two that i was going to hit when you just said you're really strong at linebacker in my mind anyway as i run through it without having the stats it seems like those two wilgar and Tooley, are your most experienced linebackers correct me if i'm wrong keenan peely's the other and i was going to go yep. with peely as far as that goes that's going to be the strength uh of your linebacking core but you rotate a little bit there and you may have some injuries uh how deep are you be able to handle the responsibilities and what needs to be happening from the linebacker spot. Yeah, th- those those three guys that you've mentioned. I mean, they're they've uh, you know game experience, just really really good players, great co- uh, contributors, leaders on the team. And I think the rest of the backer group, um, there are a couple of guys that have a game experience, but it's a lot like the D line where we feel really good about the personnel, feel really good about the direction that we're going with that, but not as much game experience with some of those younger backers and. And uh, we're going to rely heavily on, on that veteran group to really guide and teach and, and get those other guys caught up. A couple of those Brighton guys. I don't know if I can trust them, though. I don't know about those Brighton guys. <laughs> you know what? The, the Reno Mahe, the worst Brighton guy. That's oh, one of the go. hardest guys right there to trust. No, Reno's, Reno's a great guy. He's no Brian Keel. <laughs> Elisa Tuiaki joining us, BYU defensive coordinator. Uh, obviously, uh, PK's Sun Devils delivered a uh, beating at the end of the year, and they hit reset on that program down there. How much do you know about Arizona and what you're going to face in the opener? Been, been uh, you know, obviously doing all the, the research that we need to and watching film, and it's always tough when you're facing a new opponent that has new coordinators, new head coach, and all that stuff, and really just kind of looking into their personnel and watching their spring game and doing all the things that we can. Um, you know, there's this. It's one of those deals where it's you wish you had you had more information. You wish you had more film, and that game's coming, ready or not. And so we're uh, we're geeked up about the opportunity to play in Vegas and and uh, play them again and and uh, see where things go. Last year was the craziest season you'll ever have. I'm I'm, I'm confident in saying that with all yeah. the circumstances, right? We'll probably never, hopefully anyway, go through something like that. And the West wasn't playing, and you guys were charging on. We know the whole story. And you go 11-1, and one, and we know the controversy surrounding it. The supporters say we had a good team. Look at the NFL guys gotten drafted. The detractors. Uh, and, and we know which school they attend, but we won't say it. Uh, that, uh, yeah, well, the schedule, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to blow it up any, uh, and maybe it's overstating it, uh, but how important is it to the team and to the program to follow it up, to show, and maybe you're not even thinking of this, that, but that, and in my mind, maybe to show 
last year really wasn't a fluke. It was a combination and a culmination of having a lot of guys that were young in the program and making their way to be mature. So you had that success. And so now if you follow it up, I'm like, see, we told you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, if, if we could try to attempt an encore with all those guys back, I think that would be that would be a fair challenge, you know, getting getting a quarterback back and all those players that left. But you know, it's it's a new team. It's a new team. There's new storylines. There's new kids stepping up. Um, you know, we're we're excited, excited. Like I said, just about the the player and the personnel that we have. It's just it's uh it's going to be a lot different than than it was last year, just because different kids with less experience. Sure, but everybody wants you to win. Yeah, I mean uh, the the names and change the change, but the 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 goals the and the expectations, expectations and all that stuff, absolutely. And there and we've got high expectations for ourselves. You know, I don't want to get on here and start making promises and all that stuff. I mean, there's um, I I don't you know the fans talk about how many games you should win or lose and all that stuff, but I don't think you ever go into any team's locker room and. Uh, and ask them and, and, and get the same answers. I mean, nobody's going to say Nobody in your locker room is going to say, well, we think we can beat these guys and these guys, and, you know, probably if six and six would be great. I mean, nobody talks like that in any locker room, even if, you know, the new team like Arizona with a new staff and all that stuff, and they were coming off that. People are just are confident. People set their goals high, and, and everybody wants to go undefeated, and obviously uh, very many teams rarely do, but – we're we're confident. We're we're excited. We're excited for the challenge, and we'll see how things go. Oh, we'll give you a couple slip ups, maybe ten. What do you think, DJ? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm curious how many of the guys, how much it changes though. That even though some of the big names and some of the guys who really produced are gone, there are still guys back who started. There are guys who got a lot of snaps, even though they didn't start. And there's something about you know whether you're upper score down a score you just score and take the lead or you give up a score and you fall behind when you've been a winning program guys tend to sit there and think okay this is what we're going to do to win the game and when you haven't been and you're coming off three and five win seasons guys can be like oh boy we're close i wonder i wonder if we can do it and when you wonder if you can do it or if you wonder if something's going to go wrong well then it usually does go wrong and so even though these are different guys, you know, is the winning a little bit of contagious and some of the stuff hangs over a little bit? Yeah, it does. The team is really confident about uh, about our performance. And, you know, obviously we'd we'd play anybody, anywhere, anytime and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, so we have enough guys on the team from last year that were a part of um, or, uh, guys on the team this year that were a part of last year that uh, confidence is high, the expectations high. Uh, we put a lot of expectations on ourselves, and the players players do that themselves. How much, I don't know if easier is the right word, but better are you able to recruit knowing that now you have a foundation on which you can present to these recruits? It's not like a, a dream or what have you. It's actually there. All you guys now, large portion of you have been together, particularly on the defensive side, for a number of years, and you have some success. So you can go out and say, "See, this is what we got going." It it uh, it's helped. It's helped for sure. There's there's a lot more kids that are uh, that we have their ears, you know, in recruiting that uh, maybe in the past just uh, didn't give the time of day. Um, it's it's a hard balancing act where, you know, you you start to feel like you're kind of getting into different class of kids that you're recruiting 
but also still trying to keep your niche where where you know we we recruit a certain type of kid the yeah. kid that is really looking for the challenge that BYU gives them and and uh, you know not not feeling like we're trying to trying to chase uh, chase kids around because those kids just don't end up end up making it here and so right. we've just got to keep uh, you know keep our niche as well as um, enjoy some of the some of the the kids that are starting to come to us because of the success. I don't want you. Uh, I don't want to think that I'm asking you to speak for uh, you know Tom or the school or Kalani or whoever. Just you personally, when you see this talk about uh, 12 team playoff and six conference champs in, and then the next six best teams. Do you, and I know it's a long way away because coaches, you got to worry about the Arizona opener, and this is probably three years down the line or whatever. But do you get a little excited about that, that BYU is an independent? It just looks like access would be opened up, and it would still be hard, but it wouldn't be impossible. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's just obviously just speaking for myself, kind of. When it comes to, to that portion of just the game, um, I'm a fan. I don't I don't have any say in what's going on, and I'm kind of dreaming big and just wondering what could happen here and there. And certainly uh, sounds like um, – a lot a lot of different options you know for for uh, an independent school and being able to put together a good schedule and play some good teams and have a chance to go play at it i go down to pac 12 media day every year and uh you can always see we talk to every coach obviously right and you see david shaw approaching our station and he's seen the same faces me hans olsen we're down there every year we've been down there every year and it's like he starts smiling because as he's approaching he knows hey I'm getting some free airtime in a place that I recruit heavily. And he once told me off the air, he said, you tell those people at Utah I'm coming there and I'm coming often. And he's got so many return missionaries. I mean, he you'd think he was a brother, the way he talks the language, you know. <laughs> I want these guys to come. They're, they serve all over the world. They add so much to our program, blah, blah, blah. So my thought for you on that recruiting is you're getting some opportunities to expand it. But at the same time, those kids that – are normally your bread and butter are getting opportunities because at least in the West, the word is out that, okay, we get the mission program and we're not intimidated by it and we'll wait. And, you know, they got a quarterback up there. We'll see what happens. And they got several other guys. So how much more difficult it is now as far as the competition, because so many programs, they are willing to deal with it. I don't, I don't know how many more programs are. I know there's a lot of kids that we end up, uh, you know, recruiting, that uh, were other other schools are on early, and then as soon as they start to hear the ma- mission, everyone's kind of running away. And so I think it's, you know, you you've only got a couple of those schools that are out there. Obviously, the in-state schools and yeah. some, you know, a couple of others. And I think uh, it's all just most most of these teams. It's all relative to how good the player is, or at least at least how good they think he so is. So if you're a ten, they'll wait. Yeah, if they're a ten, absolutely <laughs> everybody will. <laughs> and uh, you know, if they think that they can replace with somebody, it's a little bit uh, that won't be going and. And contribute a little bit sooner than they than they than they don't. But I think, you know, our, those uh, offensive linemen that have gone uh, gone up to Oregon in the last couple of years, and um, I mean, I think every single team in the country would wait for those guys to go on a mission. I think it's all all relative and how you look at those kids. Yeah. What have you done for me lately? And how quick can you do something for me again? Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, Lisa, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate you guys having me on. All right, there's defensive coordinator Eliza Tuiaki. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. 
Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. We've got a, a period of time here with Ryan and his first year of ownership to go through this off-season process. So we need to get with him and give him a download and, and get everybody, get all of their thoughts after after a few days here. And then while we're, we're constantly in the front office, we're continuing to plan for the draft and free agency, but uh, getting everybody else after they've had a little bit of a break here to talk and then what's next. Changes for the Utah Jazz, and is it the first of a few, the first of many, the first of several? Where is this going? News breaking last night, Dennis Lindsay is moving into an advisory role. Justin Zanuck, the GM, will now assume day-to-day decision-making powers guiding the organization going forward. And many of you will say, well, how long is that for? Well, welcome to Pro Sports. Why does it happen? What does this mean going forward? How does it impact the negotiations with Mike Conley? How does it impact the NBA draft? What does it mean for free agency beyond Conley? There are so many questions. How much more reshaping will happen in the front office? Will Justin Zanuck be bringing more people aboard? Many questions, not a lot of answers right now. Good run for Dennis Lindsay. Day-to-day decision-making came in. In the wake of the Darren Williams trade, taking over from Kevin O'Connor, moving Paul Millsap and Jefferson and tearing it all down and starting over and getting back to the playoffs in three years, winning three playoff series in the last five years, but how to take the next step now. So many questions, and we've got all morning to get to them, all day here on The Zone. Uh, I think if you go big picture, you got to say that there are uh, – multiple multiple reasons you get to this point on the path you know there are a lot of them and if any one of them changes does that really change the outcome or is this where it's destined to go we were talking last week about not knowing what ryan smith would do what he would value how quickly he would want to move what kind of owner is he going to be and so we get the first hint on that pk but still those questions about ryan loom with all the questions looming going forward Try now. Johnny. <laughs> nothing. There we go. How about now? <laughs> yeah, I don't have any particular questions, though. I mean, he's going to own the team and make changes along the way. From the fan perspective, what does it matter? And nobody cares who's calling the shots as long as the shots that are called are good. Right? Just I'm, win, baby. I'm a fan. And so what difference does it make? Who's in charge? Who's up burning the midnight oil? It, as long as they're making great draft picks and get an opportunity to be in the mix for free agents and and uh, whatever that means, high profile, middle profile, lower profile, you name it. Uh, I don't really see where this is beyond, oh, okay, from the fan perspective. What does it matter? As long as you bring in quality guys 
And if you don't, well, then, yeah, then it's going to be a big deal. And there, and then you'll have more change. And then you look at what what's a quality uh, front office person. I look at myself as a back office person. So uh, it's like recruiting. You're going to miss. That's a guarantee. You're not going to hit uh, on a whole bunch. You got to hit on enough. And so going forward, can they maintain a quality level team that's going to be contending that's really all the fan cares about unless i'm wrong what all the other stuff okay that's it's all up to you decide whatever you want and then we'll judge you on the product on the floor it's a great thing about pro sports you know the record shows what it is every season every season you're evaluated based on your record and what you do in the regular season what you do in the postseason here regular season was outstanding the postseason it was decent, but obviously not good enough. Right? Yes. Not good enough. Okay. And is that is that why this is happening, or is there other stuff, or it comes down That's, to I, it all adds up? I don't really care about that. <laughs> Too much soap opera what, for you? What difference does it make? From, from the fan perspective, what difference does it make? I speak for the fans. I suppose the fans love to get caught up in some of the drama. And some fans feel like drama? they have some tie to Danny Ainge. What, what drama is Although that? I don't know, you know, if you're not going over to his house for dinner, what do you care? Do you really have a tie to him? How do you figure this is drama? I don't, I don't figure it's drama. It is what you make of it. I mean, it's not, I get that it's not to some people. I think some people are shrugging and like, well, tell me if Conley's re-upping. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the whole point. And I, and I totally get that. I did the drama. It's funny. Like, with I'm BYU football for all those years, or even Utah, if an assistant coach leads, we view that as drama. That, that happens all the time. Yes, and this happens all the time. Yeah, so that's why. By, uh, by NBA numbers, I think Quinn's had a long run. So, well, I mean, not Quinn. Uh, Dennis has had a long run. Well, Quinn said, Quinn was just doing the thing where he said, you know, he figured out, you throw out the high and the low, you know, the interim coaches and the Popoviches and the average coach last two and a half years. Right. So he's had a long run. And I think the numbers would say the same thing about Dennis. So how does that equal trauma? Because I don't think it's trauma. In, in Utah, we expect everyone to go 15 or 20 years, yeah, which isn't the industry average by any means. No, that's why this yeah. is not drama. To me, I, I sort of shrugged. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. More on this coming up. More on the NBA right now. Hashtag NBA. Connaughton baseline, out to Tucker. Middleton for four threes in a row. Why not? Chris Middleton hits again. What an explosion by Middleton. Middleton against Gallinari. Going to work again. Lifting. Shooting. Got it! Why not? Middleton makes it a 10-point game. 112-102. He has 38. Chris Middleton, big time down the stretch. 38 points, 11 rebounds. The Bucks were down by seven with seven minutes to go. And yet, one by 11, they dominated the end of that game. A 25 to 7 run to close. Now they're up two games to one on the Hawks. Anthony Kempo had a big night too, but overshadowed by a Middleton shooting performance there in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he got hot. Yeah, good for him, man. 
Ada DeCampo finishes with 33 points and 11 rebounds. You got a lot of confidence in Milwaukee now, or it's uh, first one to four, and you're not signing off on anything. You're ready for more twists and turns. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have one confidence in one versus the other. If that's what you're asking, I mean Middleton got extremely hot, and that that's great for for the Bucks, obviously. You know, what, is he going to do it again? Was he, he had been averaging like 15 points a game, wasn't it? Something like that in the series. So he's supposed to continue to do that. Right, so this is an example. Middleton was the uh, 39th pick, so he's in the second round. Who's the brilliant GM that drafted him? <laughs> Nobody knows, you know. Uh, and in Milwaukee, they know. Uh, so that's why I don't think the other thing is drama. You got a nice player here drafting 39th. Get a nice player when you draft 39th. 2012 would have been before Justin Zanuck went there, so be funny if the answer were Justin Zanuck. He was there for two years, but that's later. It wasn't that early. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. Tonight, the Suns try to close out the Clippers. Game five tonight. That game got stuck on 71-70 Saturday night for the longest time, and the Suns finally able to eke out the win right there. That was a, could you feel the pressure all the tension down the stretch there as the Clippers tried to tried to tie that series up, and nobody could make a basket. Lids, yeah, lids I, on both of them. I saw the tension. The tension when Monty Williams called a timeout, and then they had a dunk for Andre Ayton. <laughs> Please get the ball to Andre Ayton if you're not hitting your outside shots. How many times do I got to tell you? Are you going to pay attention? Are you going to listen ever? Apparently, Monty's listening to you. Yeah. You have more credibility in the Valley of the Sun. Doesn't make any sense. Your voice echoes through that valley. If you're hitting your shots a la Chris Middleton, fire away. But if you're not... Get eight in a dunk. Yeah, get him the ball. I said it after game four, three, I guess it was. Now say it again. And then watching that game, and yeah, Clippers were 0 for 12 with a chance to uh, either tie or take the lead. And there's something like 3 of 21 in that situation in the game. I don't think they have a player of the caliber of Aiton in the middle there. They don't seem to run anything for Zubach. They just uh, take him and, you know, whatever junk he can accumulate. That's great. Uh, but Aiton is a player, and he's coming into his own. Clearly, he's developed now. You know, this is his third year. He gave Chris Paul a lot of credit. Uh, and, that, and that's fine. Yeah, I would give whoever uh, on that dunk uh, to win the game, I'd give Jay Crowder credit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, on this one, give Chris Paul. But he's, he's developing into a player, and you've got to take advantage of him. He can't just be an offensive rebound guy or uh, in a situation where they, they, you know, they watch a defensive assignment. I think he's got to be looked for, particularly in situations where the ball is not dropping. And on that 71-70, that's exactly what the situation dictated. Portland Trailblazers announced the hiring of the Clipper assistant coach, Chauncey Billups. He'll be their new head coach. He gets a five-year contract. He'll be introduced officially tomorrow. And now, Damian Lillard. What about How are they going to build around him? How are they going to break through to the next level? Out in the first round five times in eight years. I don't know if they are. Yeah, I agree. Unless there's some big personnel move out there, right? Well, that, that move has to involve him. So you're asking building around Lillard. Now, if you trade Lillard, you're not building around him. 
I don't know that they, but you know, it's hard to say ever, never, and those types of things in pro sports. Two, three years can make a massive difference. So you really don't know. But right now, as we sit here this morning, I don't see much difference going forward. They have a nice team, and they're but, destined to lose in the playoffs. But every they're, year. they're in the West, and nice team's going to get you beat in the first or second. Yeah, I don't round. know that they have a good enough team in the East either. Uh, I just don't know that they're deep enough. I don't know what their overall talent level is that can go beyond what they've already achieved. It's not like they've underachieved. I don't think they've underachieved by any stretch. You know, maybe they, pretending on a particular matchup, they can win a, a, a round. A couple years back, they got it beyond that. Uh, I would look to, to move him. I would look to move anybody, though, in the right deal. It's just that the better the player, the more difficult the right deal exists. Billionaire Philip Anschutz has agreed to sell his 27% stake in the Lakers to two of the Dodger owners. The 81-year-old billionaire selling to Mark Walter and Todd Bowley. $1.35 billion. That's their stake, which means the team is basically worth about $5 billion ballpark. Well, over four or under five, I guess. That's a pile of cash. Sure is, yeah. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Shohei drives that one left field. It's well struck. Tracking to the wall. Gone! 25. Incredible. Grossman waiting on the first offering on the way. Bunting. Badu coming home. Flip to the plate. Met in time. Head first slide. Tigers win. The safety squeeze. And the Tigers walk it off. Going into this, once, once it came up, I was just like, I'm going to use rosin. That's what that's what we got. I don't want this to be a big thing. I don't want this to happen to me. So, um, and he said he just feels some stuff sticky on the inside of the glove. Um, so all I used was rosin. I mean, I used it on both sides, arm sweat, trying to keep that sweat from dripping down to the hands. I mean, that's the only thing I I, I use rosin. That's about it. I only use rosin, PK. That's what he said. Hector Santiago, Mariners reliever, becomes the first MLB pitcher ejected. During the sticky substance crackdown. They won the game 3-2. to two. But that's it. 85-90% humidity. He used rosin. That's what they said. Shohei Otani. Home run number 25 on the season. That ends the Angels' five-game losing streak as they beat the Rays 6-4. to four. So is Otani going uh, to just mash now? You 100% in on this guy at the plate? Yeah, they, he's put together a fine season. You know, he's had injury, and he needed development. He needed transition time. You know, I would have been shocked if he would have come over and been a superstar immediately because he was a younger guy. Some of the other guys that have come over have been older, and so they've had a number of years to establish themselves in the Japanese league, which, you know, I don't study that league, but it's obvious the premier players in that league are pretty good on any level. We've seen that through a number of guys. He was a much younger dude, relatively speaking, and you're probably going to see that more often, the younger guys, because there has been a precedent now. So now when a a star Japanese player comes over and has a level of success, whatever that success level is in the Aram big leagues, 
it's not really uh, an uh, eyebrow raiser anymore. So, yes, as long as he stays healthy, he's putting together a fine, fine season. I mean, he's going to be an all-star. He's going to be attraction. He's fresh. He's new and all that stuff. It's fun to watch him. He's one of the younger guys in the big leagues that you want to watch. So I expect him to continue to play very well to answer your question. Oakland beats San Francisco 6-2. Giants were going for the sweep. They don't get it. They give up a game to the Padres and the Dodgers. Dodgers Beat the Cubs 7-1 as Clayton Kershaw strikes out 13. And Fernando Tatis with a go-ahead double as the Padres beat the Diamondbacks 5-4. Padres wrap up a homestand going 9-1 in the 10-game homestand. They are are crushing it at home, but uh, the road's been a little bit more of a challenge. (laughs) I'm sure our listeners need to know that. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for that. You're welcome. The walk-off bunt, you don't see that every day. Heard that in the highlight montage right there. Tigers beat the Astros 2-1. Robbie Grossman bunting home the game-winning run in the 10th inning. Little chance to play small ball with the runner starting at second base. Whatever it takes. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. So many chances, but only one goal. RSL splits the points with the Houston Dynamo, a 1-1 tie. Outshot them 21-7. Shots on goal 13-2, but only put one of them in the back of the net. Frustrating, PK. Got to convert more opportunities than that. Well, at least for you, it wasn't pointless. Nice. Got a point. Yeah. As opposed to getting nothing out of the trip to Seattle. Right. According to their coach, that was pointless. And I agreed completely. RSL will be back in action Saturday night hosting LAFC at Rio Tinto Stadium. DJ and PK. This is awesome. I mean, the fans were keeping us in it, um, getting the juice from them. It's been awesome really all afternoon. And uh, hats off to Kramer. What a competitor. Uh, We're both grinding out there making making those six, seven-footers and what it all was all about. I mean, we were, we were grinding and uh, trying our hardest and, and went seven holes or eight holes. I don't know how many went, but uh, that was in- incredible. What, a, what an experience, and um, the fans are awesome. Um, they're always great here in Hartford, and glad we got to give them a little little show at the end. Golf. Harris English at the Travelers Championship, beating Kramer Hickok in an eight-hole playoff. Harris English wins for the second time this season, but that's not the story. Tied for the second longest sudden death playoff in PGA Tour history. There were putts to win it that burned the edge. There were pressure putts to keep it going that went right in the heart of the hole. That was pretty entertaining, PK. Yeah, eight, and then it became, as it continued, uh, you know, what is the record? And, of course, they put the graphic on television that I think that's the sixth time it's happened. Uh, The record is 11. Yep. Yeah, if this was college football, we would call that eight overtimes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Longest in 35 years. The 11-hole playoff was back in 1949, and that one was declared a tie. They were co-winners at the old Motor City Open. Yeah, they were running out of daylight there back east, obviously. And it was fun to see, man. The uh, Kramer crowd cr- chanting his name. 29 years old, so he's not that young. Uh, a roommate of Jordan Spieth's when they were at the University of Texas. Before Spieth took off, Kramer stayed there all four years, I believe, and actually got a degree, and you saw his wife. He's recently married, and so he was somewhat of the underdog. 
Harris English may not be a big name on the tour, but I think he's an established name. And so he got the job done. And, and it was fun to have the fans, you know. I was thinking, wow, that would have really sucked if the fans weren't there like they weren't able to be for so many times over the last year or so. But the fans being there, and you can see from the blimp or the helicopter, whatever it is, after each hole, the fans running to the next one. So that was fun to watch. Uh, and it, and then once you're in, at like, if you joined it, say you were watching it, you probably stayed with it, but if you joined it at like hole one or two, how did you turn off? You couldn't have turned off. No. You had to stay I came to the to conclusion. It. I came to it late. I think yeah. they were at uh, 16 or 17, and you had to. And it was fun. And I was at work, and there are other golf fans there, and everybody's laughing and roaring. And we're all waiting for the news to start. Nope, they're going another hole. That's another 15 minutes. Yeah, and, I, and I, Nance was right, and he said you want it to end on a bird, not on a bogue. Yeah. And that's the way it did. All right, DJ and PK, that is What is Trending, brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. We are broadcasting live this morning. Golf tournament for the Salt Lake Chamber at Jeremy Ranch. We are joined now by Jake Hanley. He is the head golf pro here at Jeremy Ranch. And, Jake, when people find out what they do, are are they a little jealous? (laughs) <laughs> I know when people find out what we do, they get a little jealous. I wonder if that happens to you, too. It, it does happen from time to time. It, it's pretty cool when you get to do what you love, and when it's based around golf, it's even better, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. So what's going on here today? Yeah, we got Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce here today. Got beautiful weather, golf course in great shape, two shotguns. It's going to be an awesome day. So it's all about the lack of rain, the drought, and all of that, and the high heat. And uh, does the heat bother the course at all, or you're up high enough, you're not getting the worst of it, and you talk to pros at other courses without the elevation? It's a different deal for you. It, it, it is a little bit of a different deal. We're still in the high 40s, low 50s at night, which helps us out quite a bit. And we're seeing you know high temps in the mid-80s versus 100. What, what heat? Yeah, I know. You're from Phoenix. You don't want to hear it. <laughs> he, does, he does 117. He's like, ah, I don't want to hear about it. I heard it was 115 in Canada yesterday. Uh, I know Portland's had a 111-degree day. It was supposed to get to 114 in Portland. So Yeah, unbelievable heat all over the place. There's a heat dome over the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I guess. Well, it's yeah. Not, it hasn't been 100 degrees here, right? What, wasn't in, it like a week in, ago? In, no, here. Oh, here, here in Jeremy? In Utah, here. but not in oh, Jeremy. Oh, Jeremy Ranch. No, it, it, yeah. we, we go to 85, and it's sunny right. every day. Right. It's so, just perfect. Well, play yeah. ball. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Grass is growing. Birds are chirping. Yeah. So for out. people who haven't been up here, give them your favorite hole. Yeah, absolutely. So my favorite hole would probably be hole number five. And... Reason being, we had dinner here with Arnold Palmer back in 2000, and Mr. Palmer, he said his favorite hole was number five. And I said, well, why was that? And he said, there's so much character to it. It's a hole that you can remember, and that always stuck with me. I've I've been up here at Jeremy since 1996, and Mr. Palmer is a hero of ours, you know, here at the club, of course, and this is a signature course. It's the only one in Utah, actually. Um, I think the, the most common answer is probably hole four or 18 here. Um, beautiful holes. We've seen great championship finishes on 18 here, but uh, hole five for me. Yeah. How about you? I've only played it one time. Yeah. So, yeah, which is for the par three that you hit down Down the, the hill. I had a little problem there. <laughs> Good tee shot, gagged a three-foot putt. Oh. I know. That can happen there. That oh, it happens, did. And it, it did does. to me. Yeah. yeah. 
So what is it about five? Could you just describe it to the listeners a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so it's down the hill in a valley. Uh-huh. Um, it's kind of separated from the other holes on the golf course. There aren't any homes on it. Um, it's beautiful. It's, it's a nice wide landing area for your tee shot, and then you've got a little bit downhill uh, approach, and then you get to the green, and that's kind of where the fun really begins. Um, it's, it's got some undulation to it, and it's just got a lot of character to it. Okay. Beautiful hole. Well, we appreciate you having us up here, and good luck with the tournament today. How Great many to tournaments, see you guys again. How many yeah. tournaments do you have over the course of the summer? So we'll have 18 this year. Okay. Last year we had 12. And we hosted the State Am, which was great. Kind of moved that back into September, where typically you see it in June. Um, but we're, we're full force again this year, every Monday. And, yeah, All right. it's going to be a great, great season. All right. Well, have a good summer. Thanks for having us up here. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. Appreciate right. it. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are broadcasting live from Jeremy Ranch this morning. That's Jake Hanley, the head golf pro here at Jeremy Ranch as the Salt Lake Chamber shows up for their annual tournament. All right, we will be back with the question of the day on the way. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. From The Athletic, he's our friend Sam Amick. Mike Conley's a free agent for the first time in his career. How big a factor would his health be in deciding whether or not you want to be in the Mike Conley business? You talk to your sports science people and and just gather all the evidence that you want regarding his own personal history with injury and trying to essentially predict if you invest X amount of money, what percentage of the time can you reasonably expect him to be on the floor? Good luck getting that right, but he's coming off a very good year. I truthfully don't know what the market's going to be elsewhere for money for Mike. Age is always going to come into play but to me a hamstring you know it's going to recover and they're obviously a lot better with him catch the big show weekdays from two to seven presented by big o tires the team you trust on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network dj and pk it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone time for the question of the day pk you had a busy day on facebook man you're getting after it you were putting up one after another good work or three Started with the Utes got commitments from two California high school quarterbacks. Have the Utes broken through? Followed up with, I think the Clippers got another one left. One more comeback, one more win, extend their season. They're facing elimination tonight. And then with the news breaking late last night, Dennis Lindsay transitioning to an advisory role for the Jazz. Justin Zanuck will continue to run the day-to-day operations. What do you make of it? We got three questions. You got a favorite you want to jump in on? Well, I think you go with the news there, buddy. <laughs> Dennis Lindsay, calling the shots 2012, but going into the advisory role now, much as Kevin O'Connor did when he left the Jazz. Yeah, I'm interested in what the fans think of this because from my perspective, okay, great, fine. I don't care who's calling the shots. I care what the shots are called. And if they add up to W's. Yeah. If I, and I, I believe I represent the fans. I've never played the game. I'm not an ex-player. Uh, I'm not a pretty face. I'm not a host. Uh, I'm just a guy who talks. And so I'm like the fan. And to me, from a fan perspective, what do I care? But everyone has their own opinion. And maybe some, the fans <clears throat> think that this is a big deal to them. Some fans attach themselves to uh, personalities. Jeff says, that's dumb. I want Dennis to stay put. And then uh, Jacob says, Danny freaking Ainge. Thomas, clearing room for Ainge. Of course. I mean, and, yep. and if you don't want us to acknowledge that, then 
we can just ignore the 800-pound gorilla <laughs> if you want, if, that, if that's what you're looking for, and don't acknowledge what everybody else is thinking. Obviously, there's a connection there. We've known there's a connection there. Uh, so make of that what you want. And if that should come to that, I would go with the same line of thinking as, all right, fine. How good are you going to do? I mean, I believe Justin Zanuck can do the job just as well as anybody because there's no uh, certain thing that you need to meet to be able to be good at this job. You have to have experience, and Ainge or whomever has experience. Justin Zanuck has experience. Dennis Lindsay Den had experience. Dennis Lindsay. Kevin O'Connor had experience, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you're not going to take somebody's friend just because they're your friend and move him into that position, right? That doesn't work. We've seen that with Jordan and what we've heard in his positions of hiring his friends. And Washington and Charlotte, they've sucked for a long, long time. So from that perspective, sure, don't do that. You don't want to do that, but you, you have – once you own the team, I view it like a head coach in college. A head coach in college, in my mind – deserves to have pretty much whoever he wants to have on his staff, which is why you end up with a lot of head coaches who hire their brothers. Let's call it like it is. They have their brothers or they have their sons on the staff. I'm guessing the Reed who got in the trouble here and had been in trouble probably not is going to be an NFL coach unless his father was the head coach. Maybe I'm wrong. But you see that, and we see they're here with Utah. They have a brother would he, with zero experience at that particular job. Would he have gotten that job without his brother? Probably not. But that's the way of the world. Would Kyle made it out of Idaho State the way he did if Fred weren't on the staff? Connections matter. Relationships matter. You can, yeah, I don't remember at that time, so I, I, I think he would have made it out of Idaho State. I don't think 30 years later he'd still be coaching at an out-of-state. Uh, but at that time. So you deserve to have who you have. I remember when Majerus was pushing out Judkins. And what are you doing? This guy's a, a local legend in a sense. You know, played there, played locally. Was a, I think it was like all-state in multiple sports when he was in high school. Went there, was a great player, played the NBA, comes back. And even though I thought it was an extremely raw deal, I still sort of took the idea of, well, Majerus gets to have who he wants. Because these are such uh, high-profile, intense jobs. So in this case, it's the same thing at the pro level. I mean, you see a number of sons who've been on staffs. Frank Layden had his son on his staff. Yep. Right? Colangelo. Yeah. Did the same thing. My father, when he was a janitor, he brought me aboard. And I was an assistant janitor. Now back to the NBA, Bickerstaff. True story. Another name. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, he needed know. help. Oh, okay. And I helped him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I told you that story when we were. It yeah, was you did. Now, yeah, right. And it was a bank office building, not a bank bank where you make deposits and stuff. And the security guy. Is training a new guy, and it's like 9 o'clock at night, and he says, he's telling people, showing people, this new security guy, who the people are, and he sees us in the hall. Those are the janitors. Like, 
those are the scum. Those are the lows. That's stuck with me all these years. Yeah. You've told the story before. <laughs> all these years later, <laughs> that, that, that stuck with me. Uh, so uh, those things happen. And at this level, uh, if Ryan Smith wants to hire man, woman, X, Y, Z, so be it. Fan perspective, if you make great picks and make great moves, whatever those moves are, and your ball club is winning, great. If not, you can hire a complete stranger who has 100 years of experience, and if that person doesn't make good moves and the ball club is losing, you're going to face heat. And conversely, you can hire somebody with no experience, and if that person makes great moves and the ball club is winning, you're going to get lavish praise. Simple as that. Just win, baby. From, from the fan perspective, I Al believe Davis. that's all the fans really yeah. want and all they really care about. Now, I, I don't think it's just win, baby. I don't, I don't, I don't agree but with that. But that's the biggest piece of the puzzle. Right. But you, in this community of especially, and, and you can go across the board, you, they've got to be decent people. They can't be and, running and people around want doing to feel, things. That's true. And people want to feel like they know them and mm. want to have that glow. That's our guy. Uh, they, they think they know them. I was talking to some, Agreed with that. somebody yeah. uh, out to dinner on Friday asking me about Conley, and she said, oh, it seems like they, you know, they, they just have great relationships one with another. And I look at her, so what? And they got bounced <laughs> in the second round. Would you rather have them hate each other and play in the NBA Finals? Yes. So, I mean, we play up that. These are great guys, and they get along, and, and that's, that's nice, but... What does that really matter? They lost to the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. How much of their great friendships matter? Went through that a couple of years ago, too. Everybody had the, the feel good and the hugs. That's nice. Yeah. But in the end... All the guys they, go to dinner. Remember that storyline? We heard that a few yeah, times. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's a little hokey. And I think in our community, the fans are so perceived as tight they're tight in their passion they're not tight in their relationships uh, but they think that 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 matters and sure that's nice but you know years later what does it matter i mean these guys uh, palling around with each other all those guys from the two finals years are they tight with each other now or do they occasionally see each other or talk to each other or maybe they are tight, and maybe, maybe they've maintained long-distance relationships, but everybody eventually goes your separate ways. So I just want the team to win. And if that comes along with it, great. But if it doesn't, and I suppose it really can't, there's got to be some of that it has to go hand-in-hand. Hand. So I understand that. Uh, but I think that's overblown a little bit. Get along on the floor and be okay with each other off the floor. You don't have to be best of friends. But find ways to win, and that's what's most important. And... Justin Zanuck, he's, it's not like he's stepping into a situation. He's already there. Assistant GM for two years, GM for two more years after that. It's not like he's got to be introduced to everybody. He no. Knows, he knows the names and faces. And I like the idea of continuity. Dennis made a statement last week uh, after they, uh, I guess it's a little over a week now, uh, they got beat on that Saturday. He talked about we err on the side of continuity, which I think is important. Because if you have continuity and you have a good team, then it stands to reason the next year you're going to have a good team again. 
Don't make change for change's sake. That's the one thing that has always bugged me at the pro level. I, I just don't understand the change for change's sake. I understand change to try to improve. May not, but that's the intent. So you've got continuity here. So roll the dice and make the bold move if you think it's going to push you over the top. If you go to that extreme, there's levels of trying to improve. If you just took it to the highest level, and that's fine too. Sometimes you have to be, if the situation presents itself, to be extremely bold. Sure, that's great if that's, if that's there for you and you think it's the right move. Yeah. But to me, this situation causes me no angst. It doesn't cause me to be more interested. It doesn't cause me to be less interested. You know? Yeah, I think what makes it people more interested here is that we don't have the NFL and Major League Baseball. And you follow all those teams in Arizona, and it's not that a change there isn't a big deal, because it is, but you're also distracted because the next season's already going on when somebody does something there offseason. And if that next season is going well, that eats up a lot of time and interest. And so some of that stuff is a little more under. Here, if the Jazz do something, it's huge news. It's not going to get buried because there's a big NFL game going on or, you know, the NFL team in town is having a big season. That's exactly true, yes. They are the number one story whenever they choose to be the number one story, and that's more often than not. They are the dominant team, absolutely. And they're the dominant organization, and... Uh, we obsess over every little thing, which is rightly so, given our market and what we have in our community. So, yes, so it is. This is big, big news. I agree on that. But the, new, the result of the news doesn't cause me any level, and I use the word anxiety, not in the real world level, but in sports anxiety, the like following sports the team. Yeah, I, because you already have someone there. And, okay, and, yeah, so, um, we've heard stuff, you know. Stuff is out there. We've been around, you and I speaking specifically, and others on our station have been around for years. And so we hear, and you can't go run to the microphone every time you hear something. This isn't, uh, you know, where everyone lives in perfect harmony. Uh, so it's too there's competitive. Some, there's tension. It's, this, too, uh, it's, too, it's you know. too competitive. There's too many decisions being made. Yeah. Why did we draft another big guy? Big guys are being phased out. I mean, go back and pull back the curtain a little bit, and hopefully people don't get upset about that. But, you know, we heard that at the time of the draft. Why, why are they drafting another big guy when big guys don't seem to have the level of importance that they used to have? Uh, but then I, I don't know if I can call it conflict uh, because that might be too strong. Nor do I think, if you call it conflict, that that's necessarily unhealthy. Well, I don't think that there was no conflict for a long time, and then there was conflict, so this happened. That isn't the way. That isn't the way it works. There's conflict all along. You can't put a bunch of people in the room for draft, trade, free agency, buyouts. Kind of have the four, you know, phases, and they each have their own time on the NBA schedule. You can't have all those decisions and have everybody on the same page. See, all that's the time. But that. But I hesitate to use the word conflict. I, I get that. 
disagreement? That's not necessarily varying opinions. Varying opinions. Yeah. yeah. That's not ne- just because then, you but, think one way, I think the other way. Not, that not that's yeah. not the definition of conflict. But it, it's not just that. It's also working together and coexisting day to day. And it's it, there. There's a wide range of stuff. I mean, it's just it, it's a wide range of stuff. Yeah, but I, I don't consider that necessarily conflict. There's varying levels of yeah. conflict. Conflict, just a disagreement or a different opinion. That's not conflict. You have that all the time. And, and, and to a degree, I think that's healthy. You don't want yes man either. That's not going to help you. So Dennis into an advisory role. Do you think down the line he's young enough we see him running another NBA team How somewhere? How old is he? I want to say mid-50s. We'll have to look it up. 52 is what Yach just threw out there. You know that, Yach, or you're throwing out a number? Yeah, the reports last night say he's 52 years old. 52. Well, that seems awfully young to just yeah. Correct. dip in, uh, you know, a week before the draft. Oh, here's what I think. Thanks for calling by. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, there's a lot of wiggle room. Just like there's a lot of wiggle room in the word like conflict, there's a lot of wiggle room in the word advisor. Some advisors are way more plugged in than others and spend more time than others. I mean, you got the proverbial spend more time with your family. Your, your family's older now. Yeah, the kids are. How much time do you spend with your kids? Yeah, <laughs> whatever I can get. <laughs> I just, mine's Not as zero. much. Not as much. But I have an unusual situation. Yeah. Uh, so I just, okay, I read that and thought, yeah, 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 it's sort of canned. Uh, but I don't know that, and if that's whatever. Best of luck to him, whatever he decides. Yeah. I'm fine. Well, other people way. in that role, I don't know. You you travel. You do have more time for a year two. It was just at uh, BYU Media Day. Um, Daryl Funk, the new old line coach, didn't coach last year and had more time to reconnect and do all that. And then he said, "Man, my wife is ready for me to get a job and coach again." So, I mean, forever. I mean, a year or two. Uh, wasn't he with BYU last year, unpaid role? That was Kevin Kloon. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I have no idea how old Daryl yeah. Funk is until they hired him. I'd never heard, heard of Daryl Funk. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. PK with the three questions up there. The NBA playoffs, college football, still to get to those. Stay with us. We'll get to all of those coming up. Also coming up later this morning, Shane Young, NBA analyst and columnist for Forbes Sports. At 8 o'clock, Eric Walden, jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune at 9. Brandon Huffman, national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports, joins us at 9.30. Stay with us. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Kurt Healing from NBC Sports and ProBasketballTalk.com. Looking at the way the West is forming and LeBron James feels like he's starting to hit his ceiling and things are changing, do you try to just make a run back at what you have? I'd still tweak it a little bit because I don't think the West is getting easier. I think the Suns are more confident now, guys. Kawhi's going to resign and the Clippers will still be very good. The Lakers are going to make changes on the margins and if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are healthy, they're going to be right in the mix. So like, I don't think you can just kind of run it back and think it's going to be like this year. I think the West is so deep with good teams. You don't need to make wholesale changes. This was still the best team in basketball during the regular season and still fully capable of making a run. But you have to think about, are there players or tweaks we need to make that give us a little more versatility in those last 16 games? Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Rough Tough Products. Rough Tough sets the industry standard for custom seat covers for cars, trucks, SUVs, and UTVs. Get the best-fitting seat covers for the make, model, and year of your vehicle and do business with a Utah company that's been around since 1976. Check them out today at roughtough.com. That's roughtough.com. All right, question of the day, part two. The Utes got commitments from two California high school quarterbacks. Have they broken through? Yes. No. What do you mean no? No. Why not? They've gotten commitments from high, California high school quarterbacks before. Are these the guys who are going to come in and hit home runs? And the answer would be definitely maybe. And we don't know. So I guess the answer isn't yes or no. The answer is definitely maybe. Oh, you said no. So they're not sure. They offered scholarships to them, but they're not sure if they're good. They think they're good, but they also know that everybody misses on one out of three recruits. I mean, are one of these guys going to be the next Travis Wilson when you define that as breaking through? I mean, is there going to be the next quarterback who transfers out before we hardly know anything about him or see him play? They've had that story. Or will it be the quarterback who comes in and plays pretty well but then loses his job before his senior year because they're bringing in another young hotshot that we haven't heard of yet who they're a year away from signing? Because we've seen that story. Yeah, that was a transfer, though. He was a J.C. transfer, yes. So that, that Not a hot shot. Yeah. Bounce back. Right. That was a get beat. Get beat out. And coaching changes and whatnot. No, I think this is significant development. That you're getting two prominent quarterbacks. And, and when you rarely did that before. Now, will they plant, pan out? I can't tell you. That's not really the point. They're recruiting a higher level of kid, but the higher level of kid can still not pan out. Yeah, well, one of them isn't. I mean, they're probably not going to. They're probably not both home runs. Yeah. That doesn't make sense because only one guy can play. But the point I'm making is they had to scrounge in California or anywhere to get top-flight quarterbacks at the high school level. Mm Mm-hmm. So whether they... But now they're beating you know, out ASU and Colorado and whoever else. Well, I would go higher than that. I mean, those two teams haven't done anything. That was who I saw in one of the stories they beat out. A Northwestern, I think one of the kids had taken a trip to Northwestern. This too. is an area when we've had Riley Jensen on, who's dealt in quarterbacking for many, many years, mm-hmm. talk about how people thought, well, why would I go there? They just hand the ball off. It's cold and... Yeah. And they play defense and punt. And that's the negative recruiting the Utes have been facing for a long time. So when you look at it from this perspective, they are breaking through. So, yes, I do think it's a big deal. There it is. Yeah. Sweet. That's where I'm going. I can't tell you if one of them is going to be an All-American or second-team All-Conference or going to transfer to the University of Texas. Eventually, some quarterbacks are going to transfer from Utah to the University of Texas instead of constantly transferring from the University of Texas to Utah. It's not going to be a one-way. <laughs> one-way. It's off in the jet stream. <laughs> the wind will blow you to Utah. Right? 
That seems to be the. Uh, so here come place. the comments. Brian, <laughs> yeah, they recruited a future defensive back and a linebacker. <laughs> oh, that's good news, too. No, I think he's saying they're going to move the quarterbacks. I know. Oh, but when Kyle does it, he's right. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say got, his track They've got DBs suggests. and linebackers. They need a big-time quarterback. <laughs> right, but you need, you need great players, and you'll take them at any position. So the point being, if they do move, a la Paul Kruger, and move him, it was in the high school quarterback and then an NFL defensive uh, Correct, defensive end. end. So, yeah, so that, nothing wrong with that. Jeff says, yeah, they broke through to get a quarterback to hand the ball off 50 times a game. Ha, 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 ha. See, look where they were when they first came into the conference. They were a quarterback in, what, Jordan Wynn, who had a sore arm. And then they were. Jacked up shoulder, yeah. uh, Then they had a D2 transfer. uh, What was it? John Hayes. D2. Right? Yep. And Travis Wilson played. But then they went and they messed around with a Oklahoma guy and Thompson. Mm-hmm. And Didn't really work out. Went back to Travis. Yeah, so you bounced around there, and you, you weren't even sure who was starting week to week. It's amazing that they won any games on that situation, you know, where you weren't – if you have to change because of injury, so be it. But that wasn't the case. They were changing because uh, they didn't like the way he handed the ball off. <laughs> I can remember I had Travis alone after the ASU game that they lost in overtime, and they were making a change the next week. And I asked him as far as, you know, do you think that you were given enough time or enough opportunity to show what you can do? And he sort of looked at me and he raised his eyebrow, and I thought, you know, if I pursue this line of questioning, I can get what I want, but I'm not going to because it's not fair to the kid. Kid. Because I know, and boy, I knew – before I got off the field that night, how bad the play calling was and how unfair it was to Travis and that they were going to just change. So I'm on the field at the end of the game, and we walked towards the north end zone and up the tunnel, and I probably had seven guys, and not just players, say stuff to me because how furious that was. They blew that game. They should have won that game. They should have won that game easily, as a matter of fact. And they were going to make a change. Well, they were just flipping coins at that point. So the quarterback position has been so unstable. And if they can find stability, and I don't know that either of these kids is going to amount to anything. But what I do know is that they're breaking down some doors and perceptions, opening some doors and breaking down perceptions, changing them. And that's important because if you do that, and at some point you're going to get a stud out of California or here locally, wherever. Nobody cares where the kid's from. Uh, and Back have, to the Jazz conversation. And have big, Just win, baby. And have big uh, quarterback production. That's the goal. That's the point. DJ and PK, we're broadcasting live from Jeremy Ranch. We are joined now by Jason Anderson, Director of Sales, Deseret Digital Sales. He's here at Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce having their golf tournament. So for people who don't know, Digital Sales Director, what do you do? Sum, sum that all up in like 30 <laughs> seconds. Ready? And go. I manage people. I help people find success and find answers to the problems that they have. That's what I do. Oh, you got a minute? <laughs> <laughs> so how big is your sales team? Uh, we've got a sales force of about uh, 25 to 30 people. And uh, they're all different verticals from, from automotive sales to home sales to classified sales to advertising, media, marketing. Wow. Well, digital's just... Uh, 
kind of scratching the surface. Isn't that the way everything's going to go? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's well, the, the the ability of what you can do with with data and and harvesting that data and utilizing it to target audiences that you really want to hit. It makes sense, you know. If I'm an automotive guy and I need to hit people that are looking for an F-150, I have the ability to do that. As opposed to the old days of broadcasting, where you just cast the wide net and you find the show that's got. However many thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and try to tip it towards those sports. Because, hey, there's guys 25 to 44 who are going to drive trucks. Correct. Absolutely. And, you know, it it, it works for a lot of people. Sometimes it doesn't work. It it, it is still advertising, you know. And uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And and the idea is that you keep trying and keep refining and and, and tooling your mix so that it, it, it generates the kind of result you need. So, how big is what you've done when, say, a few years ago in terms of improvement, and where is this going? Mm-hmm. So that's a good question. We, when I first started, we were, we were averaging about a million users a month on KSL, and now we're looking at about uh, six and a half to seven million users on a monthly basis and over 1.2 billion ad impressions that we run every single month. Uh, we harvest so much data it could fill the Library of Congress twice. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, there's, there's so much data that you harvest out of it. KSL.com is, is, is one of the largest, largest news publishers in all of North America. And so, so it's, it's on us to be able to utilize that data in the right way for the, for the betterment of, of the advertisers that, that come on. I know that they have some great writers who write for KSL.com. Nice. <laughs> So you've got all this data that could fill a couple libraries of Congress, yeah. but what really matters is the business is raising their profile. Absolutely. So how do you take all of this and get the right data to the right business? Yep. Because when that person pays you, just as in TV or radio, yep. newspaper, magazines back in the day, how does that, how does that translate to that business? To the person? small mom-and-pop shop yeah. that's trying to generate an ROI. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's not a perfect science, but what we do is we sit down with that business and find out who is their core audience. What kind of behaviors are they, are, are they exp, exp, are showing? Um, and, and we try and match that up to the audience profiles that we, that we build out with KSL.com. And once we match those, we send out their messaging and we, we place targeting pixels and tracking pixels to be able to follow them and as they utilize KSL.com, whether it be on KSL.com or off of KSL.com. And we follow them with that message of that business. And based off of the analytics that we get off that, that will determine if we're getting the kind of ROI that uh, that, that small mom and pop shop needs. And the digital audience is different, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... Historically, it's all been kind of regional, you know, as far as a TV or radio signal goes. But you have people who've been in Utah and are yep. tied for one reason or another. And the jazz fan who moves to work, for work to Florida or London, digitally, yep. TV, Absolutely. radio, desert, digital. I mean, everybody in this market who's in the media yep. who has a website has that jazz fan checking in from London or Barcelona yep. or Madrid or Salt Lake City. You hit it right on the nail, and I mean, obviously, there's more than six million people that, or there's, there's not as there's not six million people that live in the state of Utah. Mm-hmm. So we're obviously drawing from Nevada, from Arizona, Idaho, California. Arizona, Colorado. We're 
we're the we're the Intermountain West. We're that's that's what we target and that's what we try and hone in on. But you're correct. We do pull in audiences from New York and Florida and Boston and then everywhere else because they they move and they they trust KSL and the and the brand and and it's uh, as PK said it's it's got some good riders. And they want to follow those riders. <laughs> no, don't suck up to you. Hey, that's what I do. You're just more I'm a sales guy. We just, suck up to people. Now you're becoming the problem, <laughs> not the solution. <laughs> All right, well, have a good day up here golfing at Jeremy Ranch. Thank you. It's a good event. You're beating the heat, right? Get up in the mountains, and there you go. That's the idea. Jaden Anderson joining us, and uh, Deseret Digital Media Sales, and spend a few minutes with us. Good luck. Thanks, you guys. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, the NBA playoffs. The Clippers trying to fight off elimination. Milwaukee is up 2-1. to one. The Suns are up 3-1. to one. And coming up next, we'll talk with Shane Young, NBA analyst and columnist for Forbes Sports. Stay with us. <laughs> JPK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Shane Young, NBA analyst and columnist for Forbes Sports. Shane joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret, Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Shane, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? We're doing well. I am curious... Do you believe Chris Paul is going to break through and go to the NBA Finals for the first time tonight? The Suns up 3-1 at home against the Clippers. We know the Clippers rallied against the Mavs and the Jazz. It's still a source of a little bitterness here. Uh, are they going to get off the deck down 3-1 and, and take it to the Suns, or do the Suns wrap it up right now? I cannot believe I'm saying this after 16 years of watching the Sky play basketball, but it's happening. Chris Paul is going to the Finals. Now, I don't necessarily know if Game 5 will be it because, as you said, I think the most resilient group all year, I don't think this is a stretch to say it, I think the most resilient group all year has been the Clippers. Uh, Despite what, you know, despite anything that happens to them, whether it's an injury, whether it's just abhorrent shooting performances like they had in Game 4, which was just, one of the worst fourth quarters you will ever see in modern basketball, college or NBA, and that's saying something. Um, they continue to bounce back. I mean, it's just like, you know, Reggie Jackson's been their second option with Kawhi out, so uh, that's fascinating to see, and I'm glad that he's doing well. But I think the Suns have too much. I think the Suns, just their half-court defense is, you know, I think it was right under Utah's this year, uh, Utah and the Lakers, you know, during the season, but – Right now, it's it's kicked it up to another gear, to another level, and I think I think they're smelling blood, and they they can feel it. So the Suns win it all. I think the Bucks will probably have the upper hand there. Um, I I like Milwaukee's size. I like Milwaukee's uh, shot creation with Chris Middleton right now. Uh, Middleton versus Booker in the mid range will be will be one of the best battles you'll see. Um, and and I mean just up and down the board through Holiday uh, against Chris. I mean, two of the feistiest, best defensive point guards in the league. But I think Milwaukee would have the upper hand. So is Milwaukee finished off Atlanta in your mind? I mean, it's 2-1. Oh, yeah. So. 
But it's well, I, 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 I do think it would be, uh, I, you know, whenever Atlanta won game one, I was telling everybody because we were in Phoenix, um, uh, you know, covering the covering that series, and I was just telling everybody, look, I think Milwaukee's going to win four straight. <laughs> I, I just think they're they're so good, and it, it takes one game, as we've seen in other series, particularly from the Clippers. It takes one game to kind of kind of get a feel on how you want to guard certain players, and Trey Young is that guy. And now with him having that ankle sprain, nah, it ain't it ain't looking good. So what's the difference with the Bucks from uh, last year to this year? Obviously, they got Drew Holiday. He's mm-hmm. a different player in terms of being in the lineup. Is that it, or is there more to it? Drew, right, there is more to it, but it but it always goes back to Drew because of how much they can switch. I don't think last year defensively you could switch Eric Bledsoe onto whoever and and live with the results. And then Bledsoe would obviously make his blunders have his mistakes deep into the uh, most pivotal games, most pivotal pivotal moments uh, of the East Finals and, and, and such. And I think Drew Holiday, despite never really being on that stage before, you know, he's only made the second round, I believe, with um, with New Orleans. But, like, despite never being on this type of stage, he's just built for that moment. Like, I, I think Drew is a much better off-the-dribble uh, creator and shooter than Bledsoe was last year. I think he is a better spot-up guy, better decision-maker, um, and, uh, you know, maybe a better leader and teammate. And it's just like, I, you know, I think, I think that has mattered. That has changed the culture. And, you know, you have to actually give credit. Not, not a lot of people want to, do, want to do this, but you have to give credit to Mike Budenholzer for actually changing things up a little bit and saying, okay, we're not going to play our traditional defense of drop coverage. We're just going to switch a lot more. And that's made them dominant on both ends. Shane Young joining us, NBA analyst and columnist for Forbes Sports. It seems weird to be a coach. I mean, people have always think always think they know more than coach, and it's easier to blame mm-hmm. the coach than it is to blame the star player, especially if you're a fan yeah. who has some type of perceived, self-perceived uh, emotional connection to the star player. It's easier to dump on the coach. But early, you, you look at Twitter, which, of course, is a crazy thing to look at sometimes. <laughs> but you look at Twitter and Ty Lue. Oh, he's being outcoached by Quinn Snyder. And then Quinn Snyder, oh, he's being outcoached by Ty Lue. Doesn't it just come down to, like, sometimes you got better players than the other guy? And if you switch coaches, the same team would win, and the other coach would look smarter? Dude, you have read my mind. You have taken the words out of my mouth with that because I don't understand. I've never understood assigning credit or assigning blame to, to coaches and, you know, saying they should lose their job for certain things. Like, there were even, you know, this is not representative of the Jazz fan base. I, I think this was just a few Jazz fans, I should say that. But, like, there were people saying, like, should they have a coaching change? <laughs> just because, like, they, they lost in the second round to a really, really damn good team. And, you know, it, it's it's always mind-boggling to me whenever people want to, as, as we said, either assign full blame or or give full credit to those coaches. You know, I think Phil Jackson is not another one. Like, does he deserve the full credit for what he did with Michael Jordan and, and Kobe and Shaq? Like, absolutely not. But it's uh, it, it's just it's a weird dynamic, as you said. And I think, you know, going back to your point there, if you, if you put Ty Lue on the Jazz, like, I'm sorry, but he's not going to have a small ball center available to him he doesn't he's not going to be able to bring Nick Batum from the Clippers to the Jazz right like I think the, I think Rudy Gobert would still be stretched a little bit thin and in that series 
which I'm, I'm very disappointed. I didn't get to go back to Salt Lake City for Game 7 because I really loved it there. It, you know, for the three days I was there, that series went by so fast, I feel like. But um, I, I think with Rudy, like, you know, it, it wasn't an indictment on him what happened in that series either. It was more so like just the personnel. Like, they, they the Jazz had no uh, variation. They had no lineup flexibility. They could only go big with, with Gobert or Favors. Like, they just couldn't manufacture lineups that could either deter the Clippers from shooting lights out from three or or make it tough on them. So what do you think of the latest move that came down with Dennis Lindsay and the Jazz? More so from a, from an outside perspective, someone that's not in the market. I'm kind of just waiting to see how the dominoes fall. Like, I'm, I'm wondering why it happened. I'm wondering, like, you know, what, what's going to be – what's the impact actually going to be? Because a lot of, a lot of times you see like front office members uh, leaving their roles or, or going to a different, being assigned to a different role. And really like the, the long-term effect is you can't really put your finger on what the long-term effect is going to be. So I'm kind of just waiting to see how the dominoes fall. How how do you guys feel about it? Waiting to see how the dominoes fall. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you don't, you know, the whole personnel side, one person can't do it. You've got to scout guys internationally. You've got to scout pro guys. You've got to scout college guys. And so is it basically going to be the same team? Will there be small changes? Will there be a ton of changes? Um, you know, it, it isn't one person sitting up there with a magic wand. I mean, somebody's got to make the final decision, but there's so much that goes into the process leading up to the final decision, and sometimes you still just have to get lucky. You draft somebody yeah, who could have been good who ends up injury-prone, and you pass on a guy who stays healthy and ends up being really good. Yeah, and even going, kind of going on that point, going to trades too, like like when it's trade season, I think fans kind of fall into this trap of thinking that it's just like one guy. It's like, you know, let's use like a – I don't know the 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 Celtics for example. Like like it's not only Danny Ainge that is that is pulling the trigger and making those decisions. Like it, it's a team full of like twenty plus people that that's you know kind of like conversing on the subject and, and evaluating the players and and evaluating the long term short term effects of, of said trade. So you know it, it's not going to be just one one guy or one person uh, that that's kind of making the decisions. Right. I'm, as a fan, from the fan perspective, I'm more, way more interested in what is the decision rather than who's making the decision. Yeah. And so is the decision right? Because you can look at any general manager, so to speak, or any group of people. This is the group that thought that trading on draft day for Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell was a great idea, and they were great ideas. And this is the same group that thought Trey Lyles should be drafted ahead of Devin Booker. <laughs> Man, I still forget that Trey Lyles was on Utah. I still like until I watched Kobe's game, Kobe's sixty-point game again. That's when I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the point being, everybody has hits and misses, and you hope that you have more hits than misses. Yeah, and really, like, no front office. Even the Spurs, uh, Spurs have a long track record right. of being uh, awesome but they don't do in-season trades. Like, even the Spurs are not 90 to 10 in terms of, like, exactly. the scale of, of, of having great moves. Like, it's more so, like, 60-40 or 70-30. Yeah. And then I think there's the question of, um, you know, people have title, but, you know, uh, wh- where does it go from there as far as, like, 
Dwayne Wade is an advisor, right? Dennis Lindsay's an advisor. Mm -hmm. But as a part owner, well, of course he's obviously an advisor. So how much does he choose to weigh in? How much impact is there when he does weigh in? Right? So there's a whole lot of X factors that go beyond the title. And Wade, like, you know, I think Wade is going to have a voice no matter what just because of how close he is with Ryan and how, like, just his position now and, and actually being in Salt Lake City and being around the culture and stuff. And, um, but I don't, you know, it, it's always tricky because, like, he has zero front office ex- experience. And I'm not saying, like, he's in the front office necessarily and having those talks and having those decisions. But, um, you know, it is, it is, it, it, it does feel weird when you have such a renowned veteran, renowned, like, a Hall of Fame legend there that you don't, you don't necessarily, like, want to lean on him fully because he does, he doesn't have that experience as a as a guy that can give you that type of like advice. What's going down in Portland really has me intrigued because where do they go? They've got a guaranteed bona fide superstar at the top, but they're sort of running in place. Yeah. What are your thoughts? It's now it's like damage control. Now they have to just make sure Dan, uh, Dane Willard is is content and okay with the hire of Chelsea Billups. I know there's a lot of stuff that, you know, allegations from back in, you know, 1997 and such. And I think that, uh, I think Dame, this is just my read on it. I think he kind of like is trying to save face here um, by saying that he wasn't a part of that coaching search or, you know, he didn't give his opinions, which we know from reporting last week that he did. He did give his, that give his option. So just kind of weird to see him backtrack into the whole organization uh, have this like you know damage control going on, but I, I gotta tell you, he's got four years left on his contract, and if I'm the Blazers, nobody and nobody in history has ever been that talented to be on to be in that franchise. Clyde Drexler included. Like Dame is the best Blazer ever, and I'm sorry, like I'm not trading you unless it's unless I get absolutely blown away by a deal. So. It's one of those things where if he comes to you and says he wants out, I just say, I love you, Dame. I respect you so much, but uh, tough luck. You're, you're here with us, and, and we're not we're not sending you anywhere until we have something that we that we particularly like from a trade package. Well, the length of the contract seems to give them quite a bit of power for the next two years, but uh, then the power will start shifting towards mm-hmm. him. So they need to get it right pretty quick, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, they have to – Things have to be cordial before, and I think it, it still could be. I think it still is. Um, things have to be good before opening night because, like, you don't want to start the season on a bad note because then that will ruin this season. Then you're down to three years, and as you said, time the, the clock will start ticking. So um, more so than anything, it's like figure out if you want to have this infrastructure, this this uh, roster in place. Like, if, if you want to break up CJ and Dame, like, try to get a really good deal for CJ and get some more – versatility and defense because they are they for the last three years man they have been one of the worst defenses you could ever lay your eyes on it's bad so they do need to try to get some defensive versatility in there shane we appreciate the time as always thanks for joining us and uh, we'll talk to you again thanks have a good one man Shane Young, NBA analyst and columnist for Forbes Sports. Eric Walden, jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, join us at 9 o'clock to talk about the changes in jazz management over the weekend. That is coming up, so stay with us.
for him at the top of the hour. DJ and PK, we are broadcasting live from Jeremy Ranch, and we are joined right now by Chris Badger, CFO of Now CFO. So you want to explain to us what that is? <laughs> awesome. It's an outsourced CFO service for hire. So we've got over 40 consultants from Ogden to Provo that uh, work with uh, emerging companies, startup companies, and, and large uh, companies for project work at a senior CFO, a senior accountant level. And so it's a great model. Business is booming in Utah. It's uh, been a record year for construction companies, manufacturing, e-commerce, and so it's a, it's a great time to be out in the, in the business environment in Utah. Why is that business booming? What's going on here that isn't going on other places? I think it's a I think it's a reflection of both uh, the high tech Silicon Slopes has a big impact with that, and there's a lot of high tech companies, software development, as well as the standbys with construction, home building. I mean, every construction company that I've talked to in Utah had a record year in 2020, and they're looking for an even better year in 21. So, is this a case of one person's problems is another person's opportunity? Because people are struggling to buy homes and houses are going through the roof. It's a great time to be in construction and building homes because you know they're buyers. So one person's problem is another person's opportunity. That's right. I mean, there's just a huge demand that's out there, and they're projecting that demand over the next couple of years. They don't see it decreasing at all. How much of this is related to maybe you talk about other people's problems, you know, people leaving California and coming here. Is that factoring in? We love California refugees. You bring them in. You're talking you, to two of them. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. We, we, bring, we bring them in, show them, show them around town. It's a great place to start a business. It's a very business-friendly environment, and the Salt Lake Chamber is a big factor with that. They do a lot of uh, lobbying on behalf of uh, Salt Lake and Utah businesses, and it makes it uh, very easy for companies to relocate. We have several companies that have uh, relocated back up into Park City from the L.A. area, and they love it. They get to go out and play golf at Jeremy Ranch, where we're at today, as well as all the other great facilities around town. So uh, there's booms and there's busts. As you see everything booming now, do you see a bust out there? Or as far as you can see, we still have a lot of people, teenagers are going to become 20-somethings, 20-somethings becoming 30-somethings. And so as much as it's California refugees like ourselves – it's also these people aging are going to keep things rolling. You know, I, as I said before, with the construction, especially in the home building, they're not seeing any slowdown for the next two years. There's just a huge demand that's out there. And, you know, it's almost zero unemployment in Utah. I can't find people. That's my biggest problem is trying to find experienced people because everybody's working. There's not a problem. And so uh, back in the recession, in 2008, I was in real estate in Denver, and I, we could see it coming for two years out. We knew it was happening. I just don't see that here in, in Utah. It's, uh, it's been a great uh, run for the last year. I think it's going to continue to run, and uh, it's great to be in business in Utah. So that real estate boom, that's good for the economy? I think so, because eventually the demand for houses is going to be uh, met with the new house building and... I think it's uh, just one of those things where it's going to match up and will then continue on an upward trajectory. So the California refugees went to Denver for a long time. 
And they've gone to Phoenix and Vegas and certainly Seattle and people in Seattle and Portland have complained about people in California moving in and driving up their real estate prices. So are places like Salt Lake and Boise just kind of on the back end of the curve and it's, it's our time now to experience that growth? And at some point, does that slow down a little bit? I think it, I think it's great because I think right now Salt Lake and uh, the Wasatch Front is going to be on the upside of that curve because there's just a lot of companies that come in and realize that they can hire great employees, educated employees, kids that have degrees and can go to work right now. They realize how easy it is and, and what a good workforce they have. And so I would continue to see that economic boom for the next couple of years. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Good luck with uh, now CFO. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Have All a great right. day on the golf course. <laughs> okay. Uh, DJ PK, we are broadcasting live here from Jeremy Ranch, where the, uh, where the Salt Lake Chamber is holding their golf tournament, and that's Chris Badger, CFO of Now CFO. All right, stay with us more in a moment here. DJ and PK, change coming for the Jazz and the Jazz offseason accelerating. We will get to that coming up as well, plus more on the recruiting and the youth. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. You know I was babysat until 8th grade. Dolores Arnold used to babysit me every day after school. And Dolores? her husband. Yeah. Look how you got like 220-pound 8th grade hands. <laughs> Can we not focus on that? You walk in like, hey, Dolores. Hi, Hans. I think it's funny the thought of a... Eighth grade Hans Olsen probably pushing two bills. He's <laughs> sitting in and being babysat. You guys let me know when you're done so I can finish my story. Tell us more about Dolores. Anyways, her husband Don liked MASH. Sitting next to Don on the couch watching MASH. Hey, <laughs> Don, you can-, can I borrow your shaver? <laughs> Catch Hans and Scotty every day. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And the Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Summer LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-2080. That's Davis Vision. DJ PK, the news of the morning. Dennis Lindsay, Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, calling shots since 2012, moving into advisory role, Justin Zanuck, now in charge of day-to-day decision-making as the Jazz GM. Job he's held for two years and his assistant GM for two years before that. He's in Milwaukee for a couple years, and before that he's with the Jazz for four years. So he knows the organization well, knows all the players, knows the storylines. Where do the Jazz go from here? How do things change? Well, I think the big change is now instead of Dennis, it's going to be Justin and I that are going to break down these stereotypes as far as Utah isn't a good place to be. Need to update the drops, Yach. That's it. (laughs) Let me go get a splice and edit that, okay? PK now. Arm in arm with Jay-Z. We need to have Jay-Z Thanks, on Dennis. just recreate that for us. We'll still do the road trips, but not as many of them now. And I'm sure Jay-Z, he needs to be educated in that if you need a game-winning baseline 20-foot hook shot, I'm your guy. Oh, I'm sure he's heard. I'm sure he's seen film. Because he wasn't in the building. At, maybe he was, but he wasn't at the court at the time, whereas Dennis saw it firsthand. 
and threw up in his mouth as he turned sideways and exclaimed, well, we'll never hear the end of that. No, he just turned around and fist-pumped a la Michael that is Jordan. Not, because I was Very standing, casual when he hit that game winner. Because was I was game standing one? near him and slightly behind him, and he was in my field of vision. I was literally looking over his shoulder as you hit that shot. The and it's a, this is a real thing, by the way. I know it sounds like radio <laughs> shtick, but they had a media session, and Quinn was there coaching. And yeah, and he PK kept screaming, the get ball, the ball to PK. And the clock was running down, <laughs> and he was on the right side, <laughs> off the low post. He looked over his right shoulder, three, two, one. <laughs> Chick Hearn, swing left. Hook right. Well, I had seen it. Kareem. Kareem at the... Beat the buzzer. It was the it, shot that Kareem hit to set the scoring record at the Thomas and Mack. It was a little more <laughs> off the baseline than that, but there are some striking similarities. <laughs> and Dennis, you could hear all the air go out of him. Jeez, oh, we're never going to hear the end of that. He, pumped, he raised his fist. And then he looked back up to see you sprinting to half court <laughs> and turning and running up the tunnel and out the front door, a la Bo Jackson as you... Mix your Kareem, Bo Jackson, L.A. Laker, L.A. Raider metaphor. Well, I figured everyone was chasing me, so I had to. <laughs> <laughs> All decorum broke down in the building at that point. Epithets were exclaimed. Jay-Z has a ton of experience. It has been in the league for a number of years. So now, going forward, though, you know, there's probably going to be change. Uh, the A... There's always change. Yes, agreed. And B, there's a new ownership. Well, I think the, 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 the new ownership has changed. Dwayne Wade coming aboard. I mean, you can't ignore that Dwayne Wade doesn't have the time with all the product. I mean, we see, we see him on TNT. We see him on, on the basketball games. We see him on the game show. He's got other stuff going. He's here a lot. And people in the organization will tell you he's here a lot. And he's delving into the business side and asking questions and learning stuff. But he's still got stuff going in L.A. I think that's where, weren't they golfing somewhere in Orange County, he and Quinn, when they met? Isn't that the story? Ryan Smith. Excuse me. Yeah, Ryan Smith is what I meant. Um, San Clemente or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But not so, Quinn Snyder. No, I meant Ryan. I did mean Ryan, yeah. And so what role Quinn has talked about that he's talking hoops with Dwayne, and Dwayne Wade is such a big presence, and he also knows he's a part-time presence, and he knows what it's like to be full-time and have people who just drop in. So how much does he – how forceful does he choose to be? How much of himself does he choose to interject into these situations? He can't be ignored. He's Dwayne Wade. And so from pregame and locker room talking to Quinn, which is where I was going with that, um, to – a draft night or if they're talking to him about a trade or a free agent or whatever, his words are going to carry weight. He doesn't have the title advisor because he's a part owner, but he is an advisor. You know, stuff's always changing. I care more about what than who. What's being done? Well, there are people who definitely want to know, is Mike Conley going to resign? That is the big, (laughs) obvious decision looming this summer. And having said that, in the long run, what they do in the draft might be more important. I mean, you can say they're not drafting that big a spot and they shouldn't get somebody, and, and I get all those arguments, and, and largely I buy them. But if they see a guy they believe in, you know, and does it only happen once every five or ten years, but you hit on a Paul Millsap in the second round, or you see a Rudy Gobert and you think, let's trade up to 27 and get him. He's a project, but we think he can be an impact. Is that guy out there this year or another year? 
When it happens, it's a big deal. So that is what, not who. Uh, what is being done? And Chris Middleton is the most recent example, drafted 39th and just took over. He got hot. Good for him. He got hot for the Bucks and took the pressure off onto Takumbo. <laughs> well, they both had massive games. Yeah, but Drew. I mean, it, at the stretch it was. Oh, it was Middleton down the stretch from that. And he's a second-round pick. Yeah. So there are players out there. There are players available. You've got to get That's why I'm more concerned about what they do rather than who is calling the shots. Now, if that person – I I don't think that it's one person whose voice is 98%. I don't think it works that yeah. way either. And I, I'm not sure it's ever worked that way, but yeah. I just think the way basketball has gone that you can't be everywhere. You can't be thoroughly scouting – colleges for the draft while you're scouting all the international guys playing in Europe while you're scouting the NBA thinking is guy 12 or 14 at their end of the bench someone we need to go acquire which they've done at times guys who've been buried I mean Clarkson wasn't that far down but uh, maybe Raja Bell was when they got him so you're scouting other people's benches trying to see if you can swing a pick or swing a trade and get a guy while you're looking at the college guys while you're looking at the international guys in Europe so, yeah, it isn't just one person. And that's why I think, you know, how Justin sets up his network. I mean, there's always turnover because people are taking other jobs. But how much is there going to be and the new people he brings in, how good are they going to be? Or are there people there who maybe weren't being heard? What is Justin's vision for what the NBA is going to look like in five years and where the Jazz need to go? Well, I think it's more of what is Ryan Smith's vision. Well, there's that too. And so he owns the team. He's the majority owner. And there's going to be change over the course of time when new folks come in. It's understood. And so it's not really big breaking news. And the, the, the opportunity in five years or so to have a bunch of new faces on board probably is going to happen. But well, I think from the player roster, you can just look at the contracts and say, I, I think there's no guarantees. Oh, on the court, yeah. I but in the court, in the court. No, I think in the court, there'll be big change in two to three years. Oh, of course. Yeah. That's go- that was going to happen no matter what. Right. You can look at contracts and at ages. And so now, what is that change going to look like when it happens? On the floor? Yeah. Oh, I couldn't begin to tell you. Too many options. I wonder if they can. Three years, might as well be 50. Yeah. But they're planning for it. That's the most important thing, is that nothing jumps at them by surprise. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. More on the Jazz with Eric Walden, Jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, coming up at 9 o'clock. Next, the Utes landing a couple of big recruits. They sound like big names out of California. The impact of that, stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. From The Athletic, he's our friend Sam Amick. Mike Conley's a free agent for the first time in his career. How big a factor would his health be in deciding whether or not you want to be in the Mike Conley business? You talk to your sports science people and, and just gather all the evidence that you want regarding his own personal history with injury and trying to essentially predict if you invest X amount of money, what percentage of the time can you reasonably expect him to be on the floor? Good luck getting that right, but he's coming off a very good year. I truthfully don't know what the market's going to be elsewhere for money for Mike. Age is always going to come into play but to me a hamstring you know it's going to recover and they're obviously a lot better with him catch the big show weekdays from two to seven presented by big O tires the team you trust on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network dj pk it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone all right 
We got multiple stories. You know, sometimes there's nothing going on, PK, and then sometimes there's everything going on. Ute fans want to talk recruiting, talk quarterbacks. So do I. Two big shots out of California. Nate Johnson and Brandon Rose. Have they broken through at the U? Man, you know, it is like the current labor situation in the country. Utah now has more quarterbacks wanting in than they have scholarships available. It's like we have more workers. We have more jobs than workers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm relating to what's going on in the world today. It's beautiful. Remember in 2002, that's what the consultant said? I do. (laughs) (laughs) The show's in total disarray. That's all I remember. Yeah, and then we both looked at you. (laughs) All right, I'll wear it. And the great thing is, after that meeting, we met with the boss the next day who didn't know anything but read the whole report back to us. Yeah, we heard all of this yesterday. Thanks, Coach. And now we're rolling. And Utah, same deal. They're rolling in quarterbacks. They're an assembly line of quarterbacks. They're going to put a picture in their media guide of Kyle Whittingham with a hard helmet on and his arms full. Wait a minute. Wait <laughs> hold, a on, minute. hold on, that hold on, hold on. That looks familiar. <laughs> and all the quarterbacks at the back of their jerseys. Or, or Kyle has got enough high-level quarterbacks either as, signing his recruits or coming in as transfers that something has got to pay off. One of them has got to be the guy. Even if right now we don't know who the one is, I think that's the most likely scenario. There's too many high-level, talented guys. One of them is going to make the leap. Are they going to get good quarterback play? Yes. That's Out of which guy? No idea. But as long as you get it out of one, the fans don't care. Well, I think this year it's not going to be Cardi B. It's going to be Charlie B. Yes. <laughs> but that's a one-and-done deal. <laughs> and she is now pregnant, I understand. Okay, this is just <laughs> random word association on a Monday morning now. Well, what, what do you think? Char- Charlie V versus Cardi B? I think I like that. I think that's going to be my new, my new way I reference uh, Charlie Brewer going forward this next season. Charlie B. And then when he throws a touchdown pass, whap! <laughs> well played. Are you done? <laughs> Don't. Don't ask that question, DJ. You don't want the answer. <laughs> Can you double down again? I will split those face cards and I will double down again. That came together really far better than I could have expected. <laughs> when you were just throwing stuff against the wall, like Kyle throws quarterback recruits against the wall. Until he gets one who can throw for 4,000 yards. Charlie B. Wap. <laughs> Mercifully, <laughs> Brian Epperson, CEO of Target River. We gotta go play the weekend first. Oh, have you got it? Yeah, I didn't know. Oh, got, well, it froze up. I don't know. I gave him enough time. All right, that was all my ramble. Hit it, Yak. <laughs> and now, really, your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer strong play of the weekend. Sixteen feet, eighth playoff hole for birdie to win it. This is downhill, moving left to right across the green, should turn to the right. Starts it out to the left. Good looking line, has a chance, he made it! And it's over! And Harris English has won the 2021 Travelers Championship. 
All right, there is the Chevy Strong play of the game. Know it today at 450 on the big show. You can win fabulous prizes. Everybody else will be guessing, you know, Logo 3 or something from the Hawks game with Trey Young or uh, Middleton getting hot down the stretch. But you, you will know because the other people are trying to go with an educated guess and you are listening. 450 today. You can win fabulous prizes on the big show. Now we're joined by Brian Epperson, CEO of Target River. We're live at Jeremy Ranch this morning. The Salt Lake Chamber having their annual golf tournament. And Brian, welcome to the show. And I guess the first question is, what does Target River do? Uh, Target River's a full-service marketing agency. So we work with uh, retail businesses, nonprofits, uh, educational institutions, higher ed, basically helping them grow their business, get more donors, get more students, whatever their goal is. And I got to tell you, this uh, spotlight for the sport uh, highlight for the weekend is perfect since we're here at the golf course, right? What better thing to highlight than a great putt uh, on the eighth playoff hole? You want to produce a radio show? Sounds great. Let's do it. All right. Yuck, you want to be a CEO? Could have a job trade going on right now. Let's go. It's pretty basic stuff. You just point and click, you know. (laughs) A little more high-tech than that, but no, it's exciting to be out here, a beautiful weekend, and uh, one thing I love about the Chamber is it brings so many different people from the business community, from the private sector, public sector together, and gives us a chance to not only network and grow our businesses, but also make an impact in the community with all the philanthropic work that the Chamber does as well. I think you're the first one in in almost uh, going on 20 years of doing the show that we've had who in his... uh, Right hand has a golf tee and his left hand has a golf glove. There we go. Something special for you, you know. Figured it was appropriate for what we're doing today. So, yeah, it's fun. I have uh, in my foursome, it's a, it's a software company. So I've got uh, Vibonics, which actually can detect your moods and emotions after you talk into their app for 90 seconds, which I don't know how the technology works, but blows me away. I've got Jipe, which is a new job search app, which is kind of like a dating app. If you like the company, you swipe one way. If you don't want to apply, you swipe the other. And then we've got a third software company called Aonix, who uh, helps uh, municipalities better understand what the values of their properties are. So it's kind of an interesting mix of uh, my foursome. Hopefully they can play a little better than I can today, though. So I'm curious as you talk and maybe uh, how much you know about them before and how much you'll know after 18 holes that may change, but uh, how the economy is impacting them from the ability to hire people to how, uh, you know, business is booming at this point. Yeah. So for my company, we took the virtual approach years ago when I launched the company because my goal was to have the best talent regardless of where they lived in the U.S. or on planet Earth. So I've got employees in 10 states and in four other countries, which was kind of a novelty several years ago. Now that's kind of the new trend, which is a great thing, but also a curse because so many companies realize they can recruit from everywhere. Uh, So there's a great hotbed, for instance, of software programmers and engineers here in Utah that are now getting poached again by the big techs out of Seattle and the Bay Area saying, hey, keep your beautiful lifestyle here in Salt Lake City, but we want to have you work for us virtually in Seattle or whatever it is. So it is creating a new dynamic and challenge when it comes to hiring uh, great talent. So how does that work for the state of Utah? Does that help or hurt? Uh, I think in the long term, it's still going to continue to help because there are so many people that want to come here, are attracted to the lifestyle and everything, and there still is such great growth. Um, I took my company, and it used to be a California corporation. I moved it, became a Utah corporation for so many great benefits. So I think there's a lot of us that are still going to see that ultimate value of being here for so many different reasons. So one of the things then we're seeing with the housing market, are we seeing that there are people who are 
leaving here for work without leaving. Exactly. So while we're getting move-ins because of real estate prices and all that stuff, we got people who are working out of state but living in Utah, and that's messing with the housing market? That's it as well. Yes, exactly, because you've got some of these big techs. I know some software companies that are facing uh, offers of 30 40% pay raises being offered to some of their employees here to work virtually elsewhere. Uh, so it does put a whole new wrinkle in there. Uh, but at the end of the day, there is so many great things to be attracted. I know when I moved here, um, I got a pay raise, so to speak, just because of the reduction in my taxes from California, my state income tax tax was cut in half. My property taxes cut in half. Uh, and I'm in a more beautiful area. So it was a good match for me. So would you hire me if I lived in Maui? Yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what you do for us yet, but you got a great Nothing. voice. Okay. <laughs> you could be our spokesperson, huh? And I, oh, I he mean, can, he, he can talk. And, and the way you connected Charlie B with Cardi B this morning, I mean, that was impressive. <laughs> On a Monday morning, too, right? Like, have you even had coffee yet today? No, that's the thing is he's not really a caffeinated guy. No, it's a, uh, it's a uh, crunch a, bar. Yeah, he, Robert Irvine's Fit Crunch Bar is fueling you today. Okay. Power, power bar and water. He didn't even hit the free uh, fruit juices over there. Oh, my know? goodness. A little sugar boost. Nope. And you have to put up with him how many days a week? Five. Five? Yeah. Yeah, thankfully you I wonder if we were going to go there. <laughs> Thank goodness, right? It might be six again. We'll okay, see, if, if you're lucky out. or unlucky, depending on how that plays out, huh? Lucky. All right. <laughs> well, thank you for being out here this week uh, well, today with us. So this is awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming over and sitting down with us for a few minutes. Yeah, great. No, thank you so much. You guys have an awesome day. All right. You too. Salt Lake Chamber with their golf tournament here at uh, Jeremy Ranch. Brian Epperson, CEO of Target River, joining us here. DJ and PK coming up next. Utah Jazz making changes. It was awesome. He literally just ran out of the room to rejoin his foursome. He did. Miss as little little as possible out on the golf course. Uh, Coming up next, we're talking Utah Jazz, and where do they go from here? Changes afoot. Dennis Lindsay moving into an advisory role, and we will get to that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Eric Walden, jazz writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Eric, good morning. How's it going, guys? Good. Did your Sunday night get turned a little upside down real quickly? Yeah, a little bit. You know, here I was looking forward to a relatively quiet off season for, you know, a few days and then man, these jazz just won't let me have a night off, you know? Yeah, just for a few days, I understand what you're saying. So what was your initial reaction? Not surprised. Um, you know, we've been kind of hearing some rumblings that uh, some, some changes were potentially afoot in the in the jazz front office and um, that Dennis was, was going to be the odd man out, as it were. So, um, yeah, not surprised at all. Uh, I, I guess, you know, the timing took me back. I wasn't expecting it to, to come out on a Sunday evening. But, um, yeah, you know, like like I said, those of us who cover the team had been kind of hearing some rumblings, and we've been trying to confirm them and haven't got there yet. And so um, it, it, it seemed like after, you know, this elimination against the Clippers happened and, and kind of the 
the bad feelings that took place after that, that, you know, some level of change was inevitable. And this was, uh, this was the, how it manifested itself. So to draw a line from this to the big picture that Jazz fans really care about, how will this impact more playoff wins happening or not happening? Well, so it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think this isn't the end. You know, I think there are more changes that are going to be coming uh, over the next few days. I think we're going to see some other shifts in the front office. Um, I do think that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, okay, does Danny Ainge now come in? Does he take in? Does he take on a big role? I'm hearing that Justin Zanuck is unquestionably the guy who's going to run the show. And if Danny Ainge or, or anyone else come along, uh, they'll be answering to him. Um, I guess, you know, even even with him uh, having been in the Jazz organization for a number of years now, you know, it, it, it was a situation where Dennis pretty much always had kind of final say on things. And, you know, they did. I, I was listening to you guys interview Shane Young earlier, and, and to his point, you know, there is, while there is this perception that it's, you know, that, that such front office decisions are kind of unilaterally made by the guy in charge and, um, that's not the case. You know, it is always a team of guys and the Jazz have had a very experienced team of guys. Um, you know, ultimately, if there's, if there's disagreement or dissent, it comes down to one guy to pull the trigger on it. And that's been Dennis. And now we'll see that be Justin Zanuck. And, uh, you know, I expect he'll have slightly different philosophies on where to go personnel wise than Dennis did. So you'd have to think that with Jay-Z's experience that the franchise is in good hands as far as that goes when they start making decisions. How much do you think that the new ownership is going to be involved? Because we saw a track record, particularly after Larry Miller passed, as what Gail Miller was going to do. And I guess, theoretically anyway, that could change. There could be a change in philosophy there. Yeah, I, I do think, you know, we'll see... You know, it's an interesting point, right? Like, we, we someone asked Dennis about uh, the, the influence of Ryan Smith when the Jazz were doing kind of their day-after-exit interviews with the media, you know, and, and he, uh, he he spoke words that turned out to be kind of prophetic, you know. Um, he mentioned that, you know, regime change is part of the deal with the NBA and that as Ryan Smith got a little more comfortable and then acclimated to the situation that um, – he would start to take the franchise in a direction that that he saw fit, and yeah, you know, this is this is the first domino falling from that. Um, I do expect we're going to see some other changes coming into front office to that point. In terms of you know him dictating like, hey, I want this player, I want that player. I don't know that that will be the case. I think I think his influence comes more in the fact of these are the people who I trust to kind of uh, be the decision makers and, and to be the, the voices who, you know, are, are on that uh, committee of people making making those choices. So, um, yeah, I think that's where his real influence will come, you know, in terms of does he bring in Danny Ainge? Does he bring in Shane Battier? Does he, you know, name personnel guy X, Y, or Z? I think that's where you're going to see Ryan Smith's influence uh, more come into play. People might be a little surprised by the name Shane Battier, but that is not the first time I've heard it. You've obviously heard it. You wouldn't be throwing it out there. Um, 
Why do you think that, and what what would the benefits be? Well, so Shane Battier has been uh, in, in the Miami Heat's front office for the last few seasons, and he just recently left his position there, so he's a quote-unquote free agent. I don't know uh, at this moment specifically what his interest is. Um, you know, I've heard some conflicting things about whether or not he'd want to come to Utah or, or whether he's chasing some position out of the league entirely. Um, but, you know, he, he's considered a smart guy. He's considered, you know, a knowledgeable personnel guy. Um, you know, he obviously uh, was was a successful right-hand man to Pat Riley and down with the Heat in Miami. So, you know, it's a name that I've heard linked with them, just like we've heard Danny Ainge linked with them. How much, you know, uh, of that is smoke versus fire, I don't know at this point. But, um, again, I'm, I'm hearing that, that Dennis is not going to be the only casualty of, of this change. And so, you know, with some people set to leave or, or have their roles changed, you know, that opens up some spots for other people to come in. What's your good instinct on Mike Conley? I think probably they find a way to bring him back um, just because they absolutely need him back. You know, with with Rudy's contract kicking in and, and Donovan's contract kicking in, they're going to be up against it salary cap-wise. And if they lose Mike, they absolutely cannot replace him with, with a like talent. Um, you know, with anyone who's making any kind of significant money. So, you know, that said, I feel like, you know, th- there's got to be a middle ground sound. Um, obviously, he, you can't bring him back at the number that he made on his last contract uh, just because that would be crazy and, and the penalties that you'd be paying to the league for being that far over the cap uh, would be astronomical. But, you know, between their need for him and the fact that they're that much better with him and the fact that, you know, he's he's put it out there that he and his wife like it in Utah. I think those are all factors that, that play well into, uh, you know, the possibility of him returning. Now, obviously, he, he played it a little cooler when we spoke to him the day after the season. And, you know, that, that's to be expected to some degree. You don't necessarily want to, if you're in his situation, come right out and say, I'm absolutely, definitely, 100% returning to Utah because, you know, that, that gives him no leverage. But um, I think in the end, there, there's probably a way to make it work that makes both sides happy. So without making people's heads spin with a bunch of math and a bunch of uh, salary cap and luxury tax uh, explanations, you know, as we try to figure out what kind of owner Ryan Smith is going to be, if they bring him back, even – if he's, I don't know, $15 million, $20 million, I've heard all kinds of numbers thrown out there, the number for Ryan would be significantly bigger because of the luxury tax. So if they do bring him back, I guess that tells Jazz fans that uh, Ryan is willing to write really big checks. Right. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. It's like we'd be looking at a guy who in his first two seasons of ownership uh, enabled the team to be a, a tax-spending team both years. And, you know, nothing against the Millers. They had a certain way of doing business and, and, you know, that happened occasionally under them, but I don't recall a time that it ever happened two years in a row. And and certainly not to the degree that we'd be looking at this year. If they bring Mike Conley back, that's yeah. I mean, without getting into this 
specific numbers, as you mentioned, they'd be looking at paying a hefty, a hefty bill to the league for being so far over the cap. So, um, and I mean, as it was this year, they were one of the top, I want to say five or six spending teams in the league already at this past season. So he certainly would be uh, putting his money where his debit card is. In terms of personnel, did the Clippers expose something to the Jazz that they need to correct as far as going into next season goes? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, I think the Jazz took an approach of we are going to do these couple of very specific things and we are going to be so good at them that, you know, it won't matter what you throw at us. And we saw the Clippers, you know, exploit that to a, to a degree. Um, you know, the Jazz got it done all season long with having uh, Rudy Gobert in the middle and then and then surrounding him with four awesome shooters. Well, how do you beat four awesome shooters? You put five awesome shooters out there. Um, and then, you know, just the fact that all season long, the one defensive issue that the Jazz, they didn't consistently have problems with it, but it was it was the most consistent scheme in terms of throwing, you know, a monkey wrench into their scheme, and that was having uh, five switchable guys. So I think, you know, the fallout from that is is you're going to see the Jazz perhaps try to get a little more flexible. You know, um, ideally you'd like one or two extra wings who are, you know, between 6'7 and, and 6'10 and who are capable of guarding multiple positions. You would like a guy who's capable of changing the dynamic at the five spot, you know, like like Nick Patum did for the Clippers, uh, just in terms of being able to space and spread the floor, in terms of being able to hit from deep, and, and again, in terms of being able to guard a smaller guy out on the perimeter. Um, do I think that Rudy Gobert has got a really bad rap as a result of that series? Yeah, I do. He still is clearly one of the best defensive players in the league, maybe one of the best defensive players in the history of the league. Um, but, you know, he got put into a bad position of having to pick his poison. You know, every, everyone got on him about, oh, man, Terrence Mann scored 30 points on Rudy Gobert. Well, yeah, you know, um, not to say that Rudy was perfect, but when he's having to choose between, you know, Paul George or Reggie Jackson getting around a hobbled Donovan and, and Mike Conley and having a clear path to the rim for a layup versus, you know, taking his chances with Terrence Mann, of all people, you know, uh, being able to consistently knock down threes, he made the choice that I think most teams would make in that situation. Um, and, and it just happened to bite them this time. Uh, that said, you know, that, that sure seems like an opportunity for this team to kind of address that. You know, and opposed to having three classic style old school throwback big men in Rudy Gobert, Derek Favors, and Udoka Azubuki, you know, this seems like an opportunity to add someone in, in the vein of Nick Batum, who's smaller, more mobile, and has some shooting touch. So, yeah, versatility is, is the, uh, the key word for the Jazz this summer. The thing is, and I get why you want a Nicholas Batum type, if not him specifically when Rudy was recruiting him a year ago, um, and I, I get that, but that only works if the other four guys can stay in front of their guy. And I know Donovan was hurt, but, you know, okay, the other three guys stay in front of their guy. If you get the, the fifth shooter, 
that doesn't solve your defensive issues unless the other guys are defending better. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this is uh, that's that's absolutely true. Their perimeter defense really was not uh, operating at peak functionality against the Clippers. <laughs> and part of that is that, you know, you had Donovan was hobbled and you had Mike Conley who was hobbled. Part of it also is just that they're a naturally small backcourt to begin with. Um, and, you know, you saw with the Clippers having all those guys in there with the long arms. So, yeah, they certainly could stand to upgrade in that area, you know. And this is this is the problem with the NBA, right? Like, there's so many good teams and good players that all it takes is, is one bad matchup for your season to fall apart. So, um, I think really what the Jazz has learned from this is, um, you know, we saw the back third of their roster really kind of devoted to either – Young guy, really young guys who they hoped to develop, who they hoped would kind of come through and, and turn into more, and a few veterans who were like uh, very specific specialists, you know, like Ursan Ilyasova, and who I think maybe they hoped would be that small ball five, but he just his own perimeter, uh, you know, his, his own mobility is so limited at this point that it wasn't going to work. And then you know, a specialist like Matt Thomas, I think what you're going to see them try to do this year is take some of those, you know, 11 through 15 spots and, and hopefully, you know, add a bit more depth with guys capable of defending on the perimeter, add a bit more depth of guys who are, you know, switchable defenders, add a bit more depth of guys who can fill that small ball center role. So we see that there are definite needs on this team. And, you know, maybe they are limited to only specific matchups throughout the league. Because, I mean, we certainly didn't see anyone attack the Jazz with as much success with a small ball switchable lineup as the Clippers did, right? But, uh, you know, Mike Conley brought this up in his exit interview. Like, this is, this is what you have to do in the NBA. You have to have – this is why depth matters so that you can have guys like that that you can throw out in match a specific situation. So, Eric, you know, Ryan Smith isn't the only new boss in town. You got a new boss at, at, uh, at the Tribune. Are, are you nervous? Oh, that Aaron Falk guy, he's... Uh, I wouldn't trust anyone him. anyone who's ever met Aaron knows, he is an extremely scary and volatile guy. Um, right. <laughs> you know, I personally would have rather worked for someone who's a little more calm and, and, and collected and, and with a, you know, non-plus demeanor, but that's just me. Uh, I guess I'm just going to have to make do with this guy who's ranting and raving and raging all the time. But, um, and, and for those who obviously don't know Aaron, I'm, I'm, you know, being sarcastic and smart ass like my MO is Aaron's an awesome guy. Um, the only nervousness I have is that I've worked under Joe Baird, uh, the outgoing sports editor for a lot of years, for well over a decade. And I love Joe, and I'm very used to working with Joe. And change is hard for everybody, right? But yeah. that said, I know Aaron, and I know what he's about, and I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. And I think uh, our readers of the Salt Lake Tribune are going to be happy with the changes that uh, they see coming from us going forward. Because I'm a little nervous what's going to happen when they replace DJ as my partner. <laughs> Do you know something that DJ doesn't? No, 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 not at all. 
Just teeing me up again. <laughs> Welcome to my world, Eric. A random bomb to be dropping in that moment. <laughs> Nothing random about it. <laughs> he was locked in on that for a while. All right, we'll let you go from this uncomfortableness now, Eric, and you can just uh, take off and do your own thing, Eric. Yeah, unfortunately, once you've been exposed to some PK uncomfortableness, it kind of lingers with you for a while. So, um, <laughs> it does. Disease. Yeah, disease. I'm, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna throw myself into some work, and we'll see if we can. Uh, we'll see if we can get that rinsed away ASAP. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. Eric right, Walden, jazz care. writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. PK uncomfortableness lingering throughout the day. All right, we are joined now. We're live at Jeremy Ranch this morning, Salt Lake Chamber, with their annual golf tournament. Simone Massey, business development officer for the University Federal Credit Union, joins us right now. Now, when you're a business development officer in this time, is it a little bit price is right? Just open the doors and start screaming, come on down? Oh, right. We have a, yeah, we're so excited. Right now, we are opening brand new branches. We've recently opened one in St. George. We have three more coming on in Lehigh, Daybreak, and Eagle Mountain. We're getting ready to, after the first of the year, we'll have one started um, in Saratoga Springs. So, it has been a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for So these us. are the best of times? These are the best of times. It really is. <laughs> nice. We were fortunate. Um, you know, last year was odd. I mean, you guys are probably in your element right now, too, thinking we can actually go and see sure. games. and you Yeah, know. exactly. Um, and COVID actually allowed all of us, including the chamber, to pivot. And one thing that we were really excited about is we were able to participate in a lot of the PPP loans and help out all these small businesses. And so that was a really good plus for us. And a lot of you know great information came from the chamber, and they were able to refer new clients to us. So it was a great great partnership. So you're saying it's good to be Santa and just give away free money? <laughs> well, we kind of like that idea, you know, the red and everything. Right now we have our $400 offer. So anybody that comes in, we would love to um, hook you up and take care of you. So um, stop by. It's a really fantastic time to open a new account. And, and we just say, try us out. Find out why it's better here. How important is small business to your organization? Huge. It, it really is. And it's kind of the lifeblood of our community. Um, and so we are really pride ourselves in, in helping our small business members. And like I said, we were really able to shine during COVID with helping out so many with the PPP loans. And that was a real. So how many of them made it through it and how many did we lose there? What was your experience? You know, as far as um, un unfortunately, it's more market segment. And so it was um, the restaurants, you know, really took a big hit. Um, the hospitality, that was that was really hard. And we're even seeing them trying to recover now. You don't go anywhere where they're not short staffed or looking for extra help. And so we, we see that being really the, the soft spot right now in in the marketplace. Yeah, so then there's an opportunity for them to come back. Maybe not literal the same one, but generally speaking, the percentage of those that were lost return. Oh, for sure. And and they also have pivoted. They're doing things different, right? I mean, Uber Eats, who wouldn't have liked to have had stock in that? Yeah, really. <laughs> and so you're seeing a lot of a lot of places, you know, um, like financial institutions and, and you guys even, you know, everybody's had to pivot and do something a little bit different. Um, Our last year was really different. Oh. I mean, it was really it, different. Was, <laughs> yeah. was it even fun? What did you guys do? 
uh, I don't know if fun is the right word. It was challenging. It, it was, was interesting. It really was. Yeah. I mean, it, there weren't as many games as we would have liked, and we no. did a show all through the summer when there was nothing going on, and, and PK was on remote because <laughs> if we're both in the same place and one of us, you know, test positive, the others, you know, oh, so wow. we had to be separate in case one of us got it, then right. the other one could keep doing the show. And so, yeah, we did a show without looking at each other for a year. <laughs> So. That didn't hurt your feelings, right? I was okay with it. Yeah. It cut down on his commute time. That was I bet. At least we still got to work. That was the most important thing because I take work as a very serious issue. Well, and that's what I do want to say. A big shout out to our CEO, um, Jack Betters. You know, he... He said, we are not laying anybody off. We are going to work through this. And um, the credit union really stepped up and supported all of their staff. Um, we, Some of us had to go home to work, you know, from home and different mm-hmm. things. But just, just a wonderful place to work. And, and we're really in a good environment. Well, Simone, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for joining us up here at Jeremy Ranch. Hey, thank you. Have a great day. Salt Lake Chamber having their annual golf tournament. Simone Massey, Business Development Officer, University Federal Credit Union. Join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, Brandon Huffman, National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports. Nate Johnson, Brandon Rose, Utah Landon, two quarterbacks. Where do the Utes go from here? What's the impact of these two guys? We'll talk with Brandon next. Stay with us. The top 60 and... DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Zero Res. When you get the carpet you tile clean, it's never just clean. It's Zero Res clean. Don't have it any other way. Just $33 per room. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today. Call them at 801-288-9376 or schedule online by searching for Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. We're joined now by Brandon Huffman. He's joined us before to talk college football recruiting. He's a national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. Brandon, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. So, the Utes, they've had good teams. The passing game has been the part of the team that has usually been pointed at as the, the group that came up just short of whatever they were trying to do, whether it was in the days when they were 5-7 and seven trying to get bowl eligible, the days when they had 8 or 9 wins trying to get the conference title game, or now they've been to the conference title game twice but haven't won the conference and gone to the Rose Bowl or the playoff. So with Nate Johnson, Brandon Rose, the commitments from them, is Utah hitting a new level of quarterback play? I think they are. I think they are, and I think you look at you know Brandon Rose as being more of that traditional drop-back pocket passer Nate Johnson is developing as a passer, but that's not to say he's not a good passer already. He's just a 10-5 guy. He's the fastest quarterback probably in the United States. So you're getting him knowing his legs are a weapon, but the way he has progressed from his sophomore to junior year as a passer and just the continued development there, I think they're going to end up with two really outstanding passers. They just also get a guy who can absolutely fly in Nate Johnson, but they're really checking every box what you need in your quarterback, and now they get two of them in the same class, which is you know almost uncommon nowadays. So for years, Utah had the perception, and maybe it still exists actually. You know they're going to run, and if they don't get a first down, they're going to punt and play great defense, and that's going to be the formula to win. So that wasn't necessarily attractive to hotshot recruits, and everybody thinks they want to play in the NFL. And if you want to be a quarterback and play in the NFL, you got to throw for uh, all these thousands of yards and all that stuff. Is that perception of the Utes changing? I think so. I think so. I think when you know. 
whenever you're recruiting an elite recruit too, you've got to convince them and compel them like, hey, some of what we're doing is because we're limited at this position. You can be the guy that changes those limitations. So if we're not a team that's known for as much of our air assault, known much for our passing, you go after a guy who can pass and say, listen, this is what we want to do conceptually, but this is what we've been limited to be able to do because of the resources we have. If you come, you allow us to expand our playbook. You allow us to expand our offense. And so I think if there were any questions about, you know, Utah not being able to expand on what they're able to do, they now have the pieces in place to expand that passing game, to utilize more of the aerosol. I mean, granted, they're still going to want to win by running the ball. But you look at teams, even look at the NFL, you look at college teams, you look at probably the most prominent college team is, is Alabama and Nick Saban. It wasn't until about the mid-2010s where Nick Saban realized we have to actually include the forward pass. We can no longer go off of game managers and Asia McCarron turning around and handing it off to one of our 15 running backs. we got to start checking the rock. And I think that you know, Utah has seen just how close they've been to tasting you know, all the riches of the playoffs, to tasting the riches of a Pac-12 title. And maybe if this one more dimension, adding more of a passing assault to the offense, allows that, that's going to be attractive to high school quarterbacks because every high school kid thinks I'm just that one missing piece that they need. And when you're able to show them that literally they can be and they are that missing piece, that opens up things that they're able to do on Saturdays. Do the youths have the receivers to go with these quarterbacks? I think they do. But I also think if you look at what Utah has done in the transfer portal these last couple of years, I think that too shows that if they don't have them from the high school ranks, if they don't have them from a recruiting class standpoint, that they hit the portal hard. And then that's where you start to find the talent. And I think, you know, that's a, another topic for another day and a huge big picture topic. But you look at the, their roster right now, I mean, you've got at least two Pac-12 receivers that have transferred in. Um, you've got some guys that have come in as high school recruits, but if you kind of need a, a jolt, you kind of need a, uh, you know, somebody that can come in and make an instant impact that you don't necessarily need to spend two years developing and learning the offense, you hit the portal. And I think that you're going to see more and more schools that if they're maybe deficient in one specific area, if they don't have the bodies from a youth standpoint, they'll go hit the portal and not only get older experienced vets, but guys that are going to come in, and it's a business decision, business move for them, they're coming in more ready than maybe a high school freshman is because these guys really realize that this is their last opportunity. So that gets you a Theo Howard, a Manero McLean, and that gives you an opportunity to start having some more dimensions added to your passing attack. So how is the transfer portal affecting high school recruiting? Well, I'll tell you one thing. With the exception of quarterback, it's really causing high school coaches to pause just how aggressive they've been in recruiting. Now, you're still going to have some schools that they realize that they still need to make a ton of offers. You have some schools that have offered into the two, three hundreds of offers. Then you have other schools that have only maybe made 40 or 50 offers. They've been a little bit more deliberate in their approach, a little bit more picky in the type of uh, the targets that they're going after. And so because of that, you're now going to find the portal. You're finding guys that there's no drama. There's no, you know, the, the social mediaization of the recruiting process are no longer an issue. I mean, one of the big things that when we saw guys go back to take unofficial visits in June was the reintroduction of photo shoots. Half these guys are going on visits just to have the Instagram picture. There's no interest in that school. There's no interest from that school in them, but it looks cool on social media. 
But when you get to a guy who's been in the portal, maybe he's been out of school for two years, he doesn't care about recruiting trips. He doesn't care about official visits. He doesn't care about seeing if he fits the town. He sees an opportunity to get up that depth chart, get on top of that depth chart quick, and it's a business decision. I think you're seeing more college coaches try to cut out the recruiting drama and just find the guys that need to be there in addition to wanting to be there. And I think you're going to see more and more schools hit the portal hard because – a, you're not having to develop, you're not having to wait, you're not having to redshirt, you're not having as many guys. Yeah, yeah, you're still going to lose guys to the portal, which allows you to go into the portal. But I think you're seeing a different mentality from the guys in the portal. And it's not always negative. Although there's a lot of people that like to throw shade at guys that go in the portal on Twitter, there are a lot of guys that they just want to play. And that's why they go in the portal. And there's not a clear depth chart. So they find a school where the depth chart's more manageable. So I think you're going to see schools hit the portal that much harder because – those guys come with less frills and less drama and more immediate impact ability. Brandon Huffman joined us, national recruiting, uh, covering national recruiting for 24-7, and I am curious what you think of what USC is doing because if Utah is improving, but if USC is improving by leaps and bounds, Ute fans still end up frustrated. What's your take on the Trojans? Well, I think they've done a really good job of kind of recapturing their, their brand out west, but what's been fascinating as good as their 2021 class was, it was really good, too. I mean, they had a lot of players from the state of California that decided to stay home, guys that they were losing. If you look at their class this year, there's a heavy influence of out-of-state guys. I mean, if you look at some of the players that they've gotten commitments from, you got Texas, you got Georgia, you got players from outside the state of California, and is that because the California kids just aren't interested? Is that because they, you know, USC sees that maybe the talent in California – is it a strong, you know, there, there may be a couple of reasons, but what you are seeing is that USC is very, very worried and concerned about their national brand fading. And so they've done, they've had a much more concerted effort to go national this year to show that that brand still is alive and kicking. The problem when you do that, when you are strong in a certain region, is that means there's a lot of guys in your backyard that you may be overlooking or may not take commitments from that ultimately and eventually come back to bite you come Saturdays in the fall when they get to college. So there may be some guys percolating out there that would have been normal USC targets in a, in a perfect scenario in a perfect year, and USC, for whatever reason, is looking past them. Those are the guys that go to other Pac-12 schools and then end up torturing programs for three or four years. So I think it's a bold strategy. I think when you're USC, I've long said this. You can go sign 90% of your class within a 30- to 40-mile radius, then go cherry-pick two or three or four guys nationally from Georgia or Texas. But – your home base should be California, and yet USC seems to be going on an opposite approach. They kind of are going what Oregon has been doing, where Oregon maybe gets one or two guys from the state. Obviously, demographically, the talent's not as strong in Oregon and California, but Oregon thrives off of going out of their state. I think USC doesn't need to go out of state, but this is what their kind of approach is now under Clay Helton. Let's try to go more national and show that we have that national brand, but then you tend to forget local as well. How much is this imaging and likeness and all that stuff going to affect recruiting? I think it's going to be a huge step in the direction of that's what schools are going to focus on. You know, over the last 10, 15 years, we've seen the arms race from a facility standpoint. We've seen one school say, oh, you're going to build a $50 million facility. We're going to build a $51 million facility just so we could say we have the most expensive facility in the conference. Hiring strength and conditioning coaches and nutrition programs and trying to give all the bells and whistles. But now we're seeing a return to, hey, it's about 
what we can do to build your own brand, what we can do to market you. The strength and conditioning is nice. The, the, the nutrition program is nice. But how are we helping your brand? And what, again, I, I go back to the social mediaization of recruiting. More and more kids are now understanding this is when you build your brand. You don't build it after you've established yourself as a 25-year-old, 30-year-old uh, NBA or NFL star. You establish it when you're 15 or 16. Your parents finally give you permission to get Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. It's not unusual to go to a 7-on-7 tournament or to a camp and see a player have his own small video crew tracking his every move. So now you're starting to see, and this is the first official visit, visit cycle, uh, largely because of the pandemic pushing it back, but this is the first official visit cycle where now when you talk to a kid after his official visit, he talks about the NIL meeting, the, the, the coaches that are, are talking about it. Those are the ones that you can tell they understand it's going to be a big thing. The, to me, the biggest part of this is there's 25 guys in the class that are going to sign three to five, maybe are going to be marketable. There's 20 to 22 guys that think that they're going to have the same cachet as other guys in those classes. And they're going to be greatly disappointed. So college coaches are going to have to massage a lot of egos here when they sign a kid and nobody's interested in that kid promoting their product on Instagram because nobody cares about the third string backup left tackle. You're not the quarterback. You know, Trevor Lawrence can go and get all the endorsements he wants and needs, but the backup quarterback who was the 25th pick in that or 25th guy in that class, I think the best example I've used before is if you go back and look at Alabama's 2017 class, nobody in the world and certainly nobody in Tuscaloosa would have cared about Mac Jones and wanted to have him market anything. Everybody would have wanted to go for Tua. Nobody cares about what you did after college anymore it's what you can do when you get to school so you're going to have situations like that where guys just aren't going to be marketable so college coaches not only do they have to talk about how they're going to help with the name image and likeness and the branding they're going to have to massage the egos of those that there is no interest in or someone's going to guarantee him 50 grand because that's going to be the new shtick well, and, and, you know, that's been the biggest concern. But, I mean, I realize there are certain parts of the country, and I'm not naming any specific regions, where they seem to spend a high amount of money on recruiting or there's the accusations or the assumptions that large amount of bags. But as reckless as boosters can be, I just don't see them dropping 50 grand per recruit in any class. I mean, I would love to have the kind of money where I could do that. And, shoot, I wouldn't be giving it to a 17-year-old who may or may not transfer out after the first fall practice but that's the thing i think there's going to be a much more judicious process to it so even the boosters are going to say well now we can do it instead of giving 50 grand to every kid we can give 250 to this star quarterback who he's the difference between us going to a regular bowl game on new year's day to now we can play for a national championship i think you're just going to see more players the high-end players top-end players value increase that much more rather than an evening of the playing field that everybody's going to get a piece of the pie. Brandon, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us and talking a little youths and a little recruiting. Anytime, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on. Oh, bigger name on another line we hear in the background. Go get him, Brandon. <laughs> Brandon Huffman, National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports. Join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for your feedback. John, 
says, guys, I hate the question I'm about to ask, but it needs to be asked. Did Derek Favors contribute to our inability to beat the Clippers? Was Gobert left on that island because there was no other option? Well, the long answer is more complicated in this segment, but the short answer is yes. Favors was the only option, and he wasn't the right option, so I guess to that degree, uh, sure, he contributed. I think the bigger factor is guys on the perimeter not being able to stay in front of their guy. Well, I think that uh, Derek uh, Favors was the option they chose. I don't think it was the only option. He was the option they chose. As far as roster building, I think by the time you got to the game, they were in a pretty bad spot. You know, I mean, there were other options. I mean, do you let Terrence Mann take the shot? Clearly, the guys in the perimeter were told not to rotate to Terrence Mann. He's the guy we're going to live or die with him making a shot, and he made a bunch of them. So at some point, should they have rotated to him and see if somebody else can shoot at that clip? So, yeah. I mean, there's other options, but I think the question, what I'm, I'm taking this implication here is, do they need a, a small ball center? But it, do they need one? I mean, they didn't need one when they won the best, had the best record in the league. They didn't need one when they beat Memphis, and they didn't need one for the first two games of the Clippers. Yep. So, but they needed one for the next four of the Clippers. Then go get one. I wouldn't be surprised if they do. Yeah. But I don't think that solves the whole problem because the problem is <laughs> the problem is the Jazz had too many guys who couldn't stay in front of their man. Then how'd they win two games? Uh, the Clippers got more focused on driving the ball to the hoop. And Marcus Morris, who I was thinking, if he hurts him, he's going to hurt him as a spot-up shooter. He was driving into the paint. He was breaking the paint. They shot 75% from three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I tend to think that if they didn't shoot anywhere close to that and shot what their career or seasonal averages were, it wouldn't have been as bad. So, I mean, that's a chicken and egg thing there. It is. It is a chicken and egg thing. And that's why to put it on any one player, uh, it's bigger than that. Yeah. You know. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are broadcasting live from Jeremy Ranch. Salt Lake Chambers having their annual golf tournament. We are joined now by Jonathan Fulton. He is the Senior Vice President for Business Development and Strategic Planning for Morton and Company. Did I pronounce that right? You did. Okay. Yes. So I guess the question is, first off, what does Morton and Company do? Morton and Company does corporate insurance. So we do property and casualty insurance and employee benefits. Uh you look really excited about no, that. No, actually, I'm thinking that this is a line of work my, call, my one of my former college roommates is in in okay. the Bay Area. Okay, And gotcha. he's crushing it. Okay, good. <laughs> well, we've, we've been in – we started in Utah, and we've been in business for over 110 years. So long-time contributor to the community, to our clients and our employees here in Utah, now in Idaho and in Colorado. So I know a Morton guy really well. He's pretty shady, man. You guys hire shady guys. <laughs> depends depends on who the Morton guy is that you know. But no, I don't think it's one of ours. So no, I, I we're we're a long standing company with integrity and uh, and whoever you know, he's he's probably not with us. I actually, have an account with the Jazz. What's that? You have an account with the Jazz? Yes. Yes. That's what I understand. Yes. So when you guys sit and talk about the jazz, I don't know about the two of you, but we 
couple of us crawled into a hole for a little while after game six, cried it out, <laughs> and then, you know, now we're back to work. That was you know, a tough I one. saw the, uh, the TV ratings after that, and you were not alone. Yeah. There were many people <laughs> crawling into many holes and just whimpering quietly That's and right. processing. That's right. And they That's will right. emerge. <laughs> That's right. But it'll take a little time. Yeah, yep. As That's it frequently right. does this time of year for most NBA fan bases. That's right. Well, your company survived COVID, and it's now time to get back to where you were or get even better. Get even better. We we were a little bit, as as most businesses were at the start of COVID, a little concerned that business would not be good, that layoffs might occur. But in the 110 years that we've been in business, we've never had layoffs due to business interruption or decline. So we had a solid financial year last year. We didn't have any layoffs, and we actually were net positive as far as employee count and hiring. So we, we did just fine. So this, <laughs> this is really the essence of the whole industry. I was about to say, what is the big risk for your company in these times? But, I mean, risk, that's like, you know, that's a word you must hit about every <laughs> yeah. 30 seconds yeah. in an insurance company. Yeah. There are... Maybe the big challenge. How about that? The big challenge. The big challenge. I think the big challenge for us last year was making sure that our employees were taken care of and making sure that the clients were taken care of as well. Uh, our number one concern was that our employees were kept safe. Um, so it's balancing doing everything we can to keeping our employees safe while also keeping clients safe because that's our entire business is keeping our clients safe, helping them uh, balance and address risk. And so that was our biggest challenge in 2020, and we handled it well. So for 2021? 2021, we're all gas, no brakes. There uh, it is. We're, we're looking good. <laughs> um, we're growing. We're hiring. And uh, we're still focused on the same things, which is keeping our clients happy and taking care of them and keeping our employees happy and taking care of them. So all this growth in Utah, all these new businesses starting up or moving in? Yes. Constant, yeah. constant source of new business for you. Yeah. I mean, Utah historically has been a great place to do business. And as everybody sees, that's not changing anytime soon. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic place to work and to live. And, and we're positioned really strongly in the market to, to benefit from, from the net migration that we see coming into the state. So it's a good place to be. Well, Jonathan, we appreciate the time. Thanks for taking a few minutes to join us. And, uh, Hustle back out. We've actually had people put down the headset and sprint back out to the golf course because <laughs> okay. they're like, I know I missed one hole. <laughs> right. This can't turn into two or three. They're looking for the gift card over here I, on the wall. I didn't come here to play 15 oh, holes of golf. Right, right. 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 No, nope. Thanks for having me. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan Fulton, Senior Vice President of Business Development and Strategic Planning for Morton and Company. DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty are coming up next.